And this is episode 182 of Mitch Unfiltered. My normal co-host, ladies and gentlemen, well, he's not so normal. Uh, Hotshot Scott, he's in Spokane, Washington, where his daughter's Issaquah Hoops team won a state title, Danny O'Neill. Go for go, Piper. Go. Good for you. <laughs> a state championship. And we searched high and low, far and near. Former Seattle Times scribe, ESPN 710 talker. He's the dang apostrophe, ladies and gentlemen. He's now our co-host on episode 182. He's former Spelling Bee champion, Daniel T. O'Neill. T stands for tournament. <laughs> or trouble. Perhaps trouble in the tournament. Perhaps, Timothy, uh, when you search high and low, you have to emphasize that you found me down down low. Down low. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a more diminutive fellow. Uh, I, you're the only guy I can post up? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's right. That's right. You can back me on down. Uh, and you're going to the NCAA tournament after we record this episode 182 or sometime after? You're going to... You pick a city and just go, right? We do. We do. We picked the city. We're going to San Diego. Uh, it is a trip uh, that is organized by the Kellys. And there's two things you need to know about the Kellys. Great yes. family from Bainbridge Island. But the two things you need to know. Yeah. They have the best silverware drawer organization plan I've ever seen. <laughs> they just dump them in there, Mitch. Jody Kelly, the matron of the family, had decided that she'd had enough organization throughout her life. So there is no silverware. It is a drawer of silverware that just gets dropped in there. I think it's fantastic. And the second thing is that Tom Kelly is the most... Tom, Tom m- Kelly? Did you just Tom, say Tom Kelly? Tom Kelly, not the former <laughs> Twins manager. Someone much more important than that. Former real estate editor at the Seattle Times. Also yes. has done uh, written a number of books, uh, including a couple hoops mystery books that I'm a big fan of. But Tom is the best natural born hustler for tickets I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. So, you, so you, go, you, you know you, DiMaggio you, in the 56 game hitting streak? Yes. That is, that is Tom Kelly when you get him anywhere near oh. the NCAA tournament. It's time wow. to scrounge up some tickets. So you're one of these groups that gets on a plane and goes without tickets. And you don't worry a damn bit about it. Well, we're already doing a little bit of scouring. Uh, the the What we've heard is Montana State. They, they begin selling to the public at some point tomorrow. I've filled out a couple forms for hall, tickets from Seton Hall. So I we're going we're to be hustling for them. But as of right now, I don't believe we have any wow. tickets. Timothy. So you don't get the Zags. They're not. They're in. No, uh, they're in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great place for the tournament. Portland. I've, I've enjoyed the times that I've been down to. Portland. What's your favorite spot so far? I went to 25 <laughs> years worth of tournament stops. Now I've been just about everywhere, I think. So give me one that I've not been to. Well, you've been to Spokane. Of I course. think Spokane's I, I think Spokane's a great spot for the tournament. Salt Lake City, I think, is I, I I think is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Like like Salt Lake. Some of the East Coast spots I haven't been to as much, but um Greensboro? G- Greensboro, I think, is I, I I like North Carolina settings, but um if you had to like my favorite one that I've ever yeah. see, I'm I'm biased though, man, because the NCAA tournament is what got me to Seattle. So when the tournament came back to Seattle, I went up there. First time I went to Seattle was to see it was the 1987 tournament. UNLV running rebels were playing Iowa in the West regional final Tark versus the Dr. Tom Davis. I'm going to say Seattle just because I like Seattle so dang much. Okay. Very good. This is episode 182. Now I have to do some things here because we have a format. Yes. 
the consultant before I started this, the, see, you don't see consultants before you start the dang apostrophe podcast. No. I saw consultants. because <laughs> yeah, That's right. I didn't know what I was saying. And, and the consultant said to me, she said, listen, every single show, I don't care whether you do two million of them. Every single show, you begin by saying, please subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Every single show, you ask them to share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Every single show. I said, why? She said, because I said so. And so I've been doing it. I've done it on every single show. And now I've done it on episode 1A. Have you ever done that on the dang apostrophe? Please subscribe and share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I've done it at the end, but I need to put it up front. I need to say... Need to say something. Hit the subscribe button. Leave me a review. If you don't, I'm going to assume that you hate me. Uh, something like that. Guilt him. Hit him with some Jewish guilt. That's fine. I'm all for it. I'm here for that. So I did it. I did my I did my thing. The other thing I want to say about episode 182 to you, co-host Daniel Timothy O'Neill, I'd like to say that we have to stay organized and disciplined on episode 182, and I'm going to tell you why. Normally, we're not organized and we're not disciplined. But on this particular show, I think we need to be both because we've got Wilson. We've got Wagner. We've got Watson, the three W's. Mm -hmm. We've got rebuilds. We've got NCAA tournament. We've got beat the boys. We've got baseball coming back. We've got M's talent acquisition hopefully coming. We've got Adam Schefter in your relationship. We got Calvin Ridley and his betting. We've got a lot. If we don't stay, I, there's probably radio shows that you did on the Mighty 710 where you walked in and you said, what are we going to talk about for four hours? And then there were other days where you couldn't keep your 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 thoughts organized to get to everything. It was hard to get. I don't know which ones of those you liked more. The shows where you had too much or the shows where you had not enough. Each are fun in their own way. Yeah. But by far the most energizing is when you've got a ton of stuff to do, but it puts okay. a little pressure on you. Really? It's like Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> you got you got a long way to go and a short time to do it. So, right? We're, so you're so going to... I don't know if you're Smokey and I'm the Bandit or what's going on here, but we, we, we've Jackie, got a long way to go and a I'm short Jackie time to do Gleason, it. I'm Jackie Gleason, baby. I'm Jackie Gleason. <laughs> oh, dear. So if we're not organized, then you will miss your flight in two days. In two days. <laughs> so. Can you imagine that? Uh, Four hours straight of radio. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's start in an organized sense with Beat the Boys. Now, people who are listening to this know what Beat the Boys is. We do a contest every year during football season where we challenge everybody to beat us. You beat us, you win a prize. It doesn't matter where you finish. You beat all of us, you win a prize. We've been doing this also with the NCAA tournament on Mitch Unfiltered. We've got a great sponsor called Fireside Home Solutions. John Waterstrat is absolutely my man. He gives us money to do this. And so he gives us prizes. And so do all the other sponsors. So we do a bracket like everybody else does a bracket. Here's the rub on our bracket. It's Beat the Boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions, which means you got to beat the boy. You got to be, you don't have to finish first. You just have to beat all of us. Now, who constitutes all of us? Who are the boys? Well, I got tired of losing, Danny. And every time I get a little miffed about losing, I add boys. I just keep adding boys. <laughs> so I've got, and people get, people actually get pissy. They send me notes. They send me twi tweets. They send me emails. What are you trying to do? Make it impossible? What kind of a guy are you? Y yes. Yes, this is out of my pocket. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to make it impossible. 
Yes, I don't want you to win. So sorry if you got to complain. Here are the boys. I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you the team. Team unfiltered this year for March Madness brackets. And by the way, if you fill out a bracket, it's very simple. You can either go to the run run my pools deal. If you've already done it before in the past, if you have history with us, then it's already ready for you to go. If you don't, just go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click on the banner. It'll take you through the instructions. It's very easy to fill out our bracket like everybody else. And I thank Bill Sanders and Run My Pools immensely. They charge me nothing. They do this for me because they love us. So RunMyPools.com is fabulous, and I love Bill Sanders. He's just a great friend of the show, okay? Here are the boys. Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions owner, one. Mitch, two. Scott, three. Producer Steve, four. Danny O'Neill, five. You're number five. Number five. You're a five seed. Slickhawk, six. Randy Mueller, seven. Tyler Hay, Evergreen Golf Call, eight. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, nine. Lindsey Schwartz, CEO of Daniels, ten. Jordan Flowers, cross-country mortgage, 11. Robbie Tonkin, President Taco Time, 12. 12 schleps. Call it the dirty dozen? That's it. You want The to dynamic call, dozen? You want to call it whatever you can call it. I call it a bunch of schleps that don't know how to fill out a bracket. We're probably worse than anybody, right? No, because no. Recept- you got you got you got twelve people in there. It's <laughs> even if it's even if it's by the by the principle, like it's the blind the broken uh, clock right twice a day. The twelve schleps can 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 knock it out of the park. On you occasion. would think so. You would think so. So I, I used to do a thing on the on the morning show at KJR called the Reche- the receptionist always wins, <laughs> and we would yeah. run a pool of receptionists. They were always better than us. We get them on the show. We talk about their brackets. Why did you pick this team? Because I like their colors or whatever it is. So that's our talk. So here's the deal. It's it's beat the boys. You fill out a bracket. You go to MitchUnfiltered.com or whatever. Run my pools. You fill out a bracket. Anybody who beats us, I repeat, anybody. So if 500 people beat us, we give 500 prizes. They go from cash to Daniel's Broiler Gift cards, Taco Time gift cards, Zeke's Pizza gift cards, free months of Mitch Unfiltered patron shows, all kinds of... You beat the 12. You beat the schleps. Beat the schleps, and you win. Now, you might want to know, Danny, what do I get if I win it all? If I what beat do I everybody? get if I win it all? That's a good question, and I've decided to make that a somewhat complicated answer. Here's what I'm committed to. I'm committed to give $500 cash to the winner, Okay. But I'm going to tie the winning prize to the amount of participants this year. So, if there are two participants, the winner will get 500 bucks. If there's 1,000 participants, the winner will get $1,000. If there are 1,500 participants, we'll go up to 1,500, 2,000, 25, however many... Those are the this, those are the plateaus. Yes, this yes. sounds like something that a radio consultant would advise you to do because what you're doing <laughs> is you're incentivizing yes, the populace am, out there. Not only Timothy. not only am I going to give you all of these great things, but I am going to incentivize you that if you do sign up and don't happen to win, you mean it will cost Mitch more for whoever wins. So it is incentivizing. It, this this works on multiple levels. A radio consultant should be very very proud of what you <laughs> you, just did, you, you you should look at it a different way. I look at it this way. 
I'm Joe in Portland, Oregon, who loves Mitch. I, mm-hmm. I moved to San Diego from Seattle. I love Mitch. I happen to know that I'm going to have the best bracket in the world. So I better get 30 people, 1,000. The more people I get to beat, the more money Mitch is going to give me if we get to those plateaus. 1,000, 15. I'm not going to do it like if there's 1,123 people, I'm going to give you $1,123. I'm just going to do it 1,000 every 500. 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 25. Normally, I think last year we had about 900 or 1,000 uh, participants. So the more we get, the more kind of, sort of, is the grand prize. That's it. I, I like the idea that you have given the, the listeners the entrance <laughs> agency. You've given them a reason to uh, help you. Help me help, to help, help you. you. Where does that come from? That is Jerry Maguire, right? I help think. me <laughs> to help you. Yes. Yes. So that's it about uh, Beat the Boys. Now, I have two I have two trivia questions, two Stump the Band questions for Danny O'Neill. Do you like playing Stump the Band? I do. Okay. Yes. Do you like giving or do you like receiving? Where are you on that? On Stump the Band. I like I like receiving. My questions tend to be, fall into minutia. They're either too easy to get or they're ridiculous and okay. inane. Stump the Band question number one. How many segments are on a normal Monday release of Mitch Unfiltered? Da, Eight. Da, da, Eight. Da, da, da. Eight. Eight segments. Eight segments. Eight segments. Incorrect. (laughs) There is a T segment, which we're doing right now. Yes. There is segment one, which we're going to do next, and we're going to talk about all the things we mentioned. Then there's going to be three guest segments. That's five. Followed by another stuff segment. That's six. The correct answer of the Stump the Band question is there's six segments of a Monday show of Mitch Unfiltered. Now, the reason I said eight is because I wanted to do two more, and we just talked about how much stuff we have to talk about, Mitch. Are we going to be able to do it in six segments? I don't know. We need a little wiggle room here. And normally at the end of, of the tease segment, I tell people who the guests are on this upcoming show, on this show. And that's where Stump the Band question number two comes. Because the first guest segment is what we call the Seahawks No Table, where I, I invite Brady Henderson of ESPN.com Joe and Joe Fan. Yes. yes. And we all get together and we, we, talk, we talk about the, uh, the Seahawks. And we're going to do that, a special edition, because of all the news. And you might ask, where, where'd you come up with the idea of Seahawks No Table? Well, when well, I left, I took the table with me. Okay. Mitch had no table okay. left. Okay, we're getting to the Stump the Band question. In 1995, I went into, I marched into the office of Tiptoe Tommy Lee, and who's the program director who hired me at KJR. And I said, what if we got up, we came up with some gift certificates and we got some guys in and we did something called the Seahawks Roundtable every single like Thursday during the season. He's like, great idea. I don't know that we can pay him. Just what any program director would say, yes. right? <laughs> correct. Correct. That's every every single time. It's fantastic. Right. See if they'll do it for free. Right. See if they'll do it for free. And that's how, which I think still goes on to this day on KJR, the Seahawks roundtable came into existence. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back. I'll ring the bell. I came up with the Seahawks roundtable. Well, then I unceremoniously was exited that radio station. And uh, I started my own little thing called the podcast, and we had to do something. 
and and it, it, but pandemic hit and and mm-hmm. they were there and I, you know what I just figured yeah it's the Seahawks no table we don't have a table so it's the Seahawks no table so the stump the that's a long way of coming to the question which is who were the original three on the 1995 edition of the Seahawks Roundtable on so KJR. Can you, <laughs> can you at least give me mediums? Like, because uh, I, I don't even know the. I'm going to be honest. I don't even think I know the answer. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Why? Because I was going to say because I there's I a think controversial. I know. I've asked this question before of some of the guys that I know were on it, and there's one one chair of the round table that we all disagree on who that person was and there's no tape to confirm there's no audio recordings to know who was right so then it would have been claire farnsworth would have been covering it for the pi i believe craig smith would have been your reporter covering it for the seattle times there's no way craig was there because (laughs) if if craig was near an open mic and i love craig he would not have lasted three he, he, he might not have lasted a show with 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 an open mic, uh, Clayton would have been covering it for the Tacoma News Tribune, but I don't think he was part of the roundtable. No. Are we going to TV guys then? Is it Tony Ventrelli, Bruce King, Ventrella, in the area? Ventrella, Ventrella? Yeah. Do, do do we then have Bruce King was also in the area? <laughs> was Bruce King alive in nineteen? Yeah, yeah probably heck was. yeah, he was. Yeah. Bruce King mowed my lawn in 1997. <laughs> no, it's a true story. I was living with his son, Mike, who lives near me, lives, lives over in Brooklyn now, right right near where I do. I came home night. one day and Bruce King was out mowing what our lawn. It? The play of the night. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> I love Bruce King. Well, Bruce King yes. was uh, well, yeah. one of the yeah. one of the godfathers of, of, of the area. So I can tell you two. Okay. But we're, we're, it's still controversial. Nobody really knows if my answer of the third is right. Number one, Claire Farnsworth, you hit right on the yes. right on the. Head. Was he wearing underwear then? Uh, I don't think so. I think we discussed <laughs> it. No, I don't think he was. Commando, Commando, Claire. Larry Stone was on the oh! original Seahawks roundtable in 1995, and I asked Larry a couple times who was the third member, and he and mm-hmm. I, our memories are shot. He thinks it was an unnamed guy from like Everett who did some sort of a like a newsletter, like a Scott, somebody named Scott Johnston or Scott Johnson. Yeah, Scott Johnson is up there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a guy named Bill Williamson with a very loud uh a windbreaker that he used to wear every I'm single I'm inclined time. <laughs> to think you're more correct than Larry is. I don't know. I'll have to do a little research. I bet I'll be able to find an answer to that question. Really? I th- I wow. think it, I th- I would think that the timing lines up more with Bill Williamson, but I'm not sure. Okay, you remember and Bill Big Williamson Bill? does have a loud windbreaker. That is a, <laughs> that is a 100% correct description of him. Uh, so there you go. Seahawks no table uh, on the on the big week that was in Seattle Seahawks land. Peter King's going to give you kind of a. Of insider's view. He's going to give you some some nuggets that you probably didn't know about how this thing came to be. And then Jeff Legwald is the guy who covers the Denver Broncos for ESPN. He's going to tell us about Drew Locke and Noah Fant and Shelby Harris and kind of <laughs> kind of the trade from a Denver perspective. Why'd you Sorry. do that? Why'd you do that? Because it was Drew Locke. I'm, I'm I'm already telling you, like I'm I'm out on the Drew Lock hype. I want no part of it. <laughs> Nobody does. No. Do you know anybody who wants part of the Drew? No. That somebody just, has anybody just, tweeted? I'm, already, I'm here I'm for Drew Lock because we're gonna get sold on him. It's like, oh, you no, know, we're he, was, not. He, he was a high. Yes, no, they're gonna try not. and do it. No, yes, they not. are. No, yes. they're not. He's what did I see? He's a he's a nice backup plan 
at quarterback. I'm telling you, I think he's going to be. No, he's not going to be. Job. Oh, he might be compete. He is not. I'll, I think he's. Gonna you be. and I already have a wager. What's our wager? It is. Uh, we are betting tumblers, big spenders that yeah. we are. And if, what's the wager? The wager is if the Seahawks do not have their franchise quarterback, if they go into this season without this guy's the starter and he is going to be the quarterback going forward, somewhere, somewhere where there's there there is a clear identified starter when they enter training camp, I will be sending. Mitch Levy, one stainless steel Austin Tumbler with the yes. cork bottom and the Dan yes. Apostrophe logo on Yes. And if it comes in and we're hearing about how maybe Drew Locke is going to win this job against Geno, Geno Smith, Smith and whatever cadaverous <laughs> options they bring in here, I am going to be getting a Mitch Unfiltered mug. Correct. With That's Pebble correct. Ice, which he'll... No, I don't know if the Pebble Ice will be shipped. I don't know. Country. I don't think the Pebble Ice will make it. I don't think they make it. They hardly. They don't make the it. The postman is like, why water. is this thing <laughs> <Yes>. leaking? <laughs> All right, episode 182 with my dear friend Danny O'Neill, Seahawks note table, Peter King, Jeff Legwald. But before we officially begin, Danny O'Neill, I must tell you that Mitch Unfiltered is just not possible without our partners like Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything well. Zeke's Pizza, the Levy family's annual March Madness Dash for Cash, happens this week. We always get together at a Zeke's location, have some pizza and fun, salads. We pick our teams out of a hat for charity, probably near UW this year for Max's and final exams week, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler. I think the number one place to celebrate special occasions in the Northwest is Daniel's Broiler. The Schwartz family, they just do it right. The best steaks and impeccable service, a world-class steakhouse. Fireside Home Solutions, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys March Madness Pool, which is up right now for you at MitchUnfiltered.com. Fill out your brackets for us. Win cash. Prizes, all you got to do is beat our team in the Beat the Boys, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. And the new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, of course. Jordan Flowers' team might very well save hundreds, hundreds off of your monthly mortgage payment. So many of us are throwing money out the window because of laziness. Just take a look. Take a look at the interest rate you're paying, and then give Jordan a call. Seven minutes on the phone is all it takes. 425 890 Five, seven. This is episode 182, No Hot Shot, but Danny O'Neill is in the house, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. I've been told so many times that they will not do a deal without knowing a clear next quarterback. They're not going to try. I've been told that so many times. Maybe mm-hmm. I just believe it. Unfiltered. I have this feeling that there was such a something special between Lockett and Wilson, that you might want to move him if you can bring something good in. You might have a plan to move him, bring another wide. Maybe he's just not a great wide receiver with the next quarterback of the Seahawks. Mitch is unfiltered. though we went about 20 some odd minutes on the T section which my producer producer Steve hates you know Mitch no Mitch the the T's are supposed to be like 45 seconds why is it 20 minutes every show 
Well, that's what I do. I don't know how to do anything in less than 20 minutes. See, here's the way podcasts work. You don't need to do teases and rejoins and all of that. It's all content. Once they get in here, you're signed up. Like it's, it's not, it's not a freeway with an on-ramp and an off-ramp. You're in a tunnel. And once you're in the tunnel, you're committed and we got you in the tunnel. I hired the wrong consultant. You should have, I should (laughs) have. Why did I hire I Danny O'Neill for God's sake? I would be the worst consultant. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? How oh. to antagonize people and lose friends? That's my no, consulting no, no. job. Okay, so episode 182 now is officially underway along with the dang apostrophes. Danny O'Neill, as people listen to this, a week or more has gone by since the massive trade. Wagner also cut. Sometimes... I mean, you and I have visited on other shows. So sometimes, though, as days go by and hours go by, we we come up with different perspectives. Have you have you thought about this in any different way in the last few days? Yeah, I have. I've I've come to see this as something that was inevitable because of the difference in the way that Russell saw the team and his role on it and the way that Pete Carroll conceives of the team. I think that John Schneider's relationship with the agent, Mark Rogers, accentuated that. But I think at its core, it comes down to Pete seeing his quarterback as a point guard and Russell believing that the quarterback is is essentially the face of your franchise, much more in the way that we're used to seeing a basketball player like LeBron James be that. And I I think that that meant there was inevitably going to be a, a break, whether it was because the success stopped much more abruptly than than it actually did here there was one bad season but they had nine winning records in in 10 years or because russ wasn't doing as much as he wanted and i think that's what ended up being the break so i i've i've come to see this as something that was inevitable in large part because of that difference between how russ saw his career and his role and how pete sees and and believes that a quarterback should fit within his team so two follow-up questions then. Had they not received a package, a compensation package that they thought thought was fair, or they didn't receive it from a team that he was willing to go to, which could have happened, do you think that the two sides could have coexisted another year? Do you think that they could have gone to training camp and just, as they like to say, and I hate it, run this back again? Yeah. One more I time. Do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I do. I think that Seattle, I think what the Seahawks were looking at was the reality that he was not going to resign with them. He that that that, that wasn't, and there's two years left on his deal, and they could have run it back one more time. But at that point, you're not going to get the same return. This 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 was their window to get the most for him. And if they went into this season with him and played this season with him, the return would not set them up as well. You'd buy a year and, and maybe you'd get further. Maybe, maybe you'd be able to bounce back to the playoffs, but that in some ways you were delaying a split and you would significantly decrease the return you'd be able to get a year from. Okay. Later on in this podcast, listeners who stay with us, We'll hear from Jeff Legwald, who's the longtime Broncos reporter now for ESPN Broncos Insider. And they're going to hear him say that he has been told, and I've heard this now a couple times, that Pete Carroll did not want to do this. And that he had to be talked into, quote, talked into this by, I'm assuming, John Schneider. Mm -hmm. What do we think was said? What had to be said by, uh, what, what had to be said? That's not good English, but you know what I mean. 
Yeah. What was how do you said, s- how do you sell Pete? Uh, how on do you this? sell Pete at age seventy on this? Do you say I've got another quarterback? People don't know this, but here's who it's going to be. Do you say let's tank? I know you're seventy, but seventy's the new twenty. And, and and you're a young 70 and you got a huge contract for many years to come. Let's just, we won't tell anybody this, let's tank 22. We'll come out with all these draft choices. We'll hope that Denver sucks in 22 and it's going to be a huge draft for quarterbacks next year. We'll go out and get Bryce Young or whomever. What do you have to say to Pete Carroll to, to have him? So I'm assuming they still need his signature now. We haven't been told that John's running the show now. I don't think we would be told even if, it, if it's changed, but... What do we need to do to get John uh, to get Pete Carroll to sign off on this thing? Well, my opinion is that they sold him on the idea that we've got a huge opportunity here to remake the team. And while there's no guarantee on whether and when we're going to get that quarterback, we're going to get a lot. We're going to get a lot of potential chances to do that. Thanks to this trade. And we're going to be better off. Hmm. It is better to rip the bandaid off than to let this fester. And if we're honest about it, the past 20 games of Russ's, there's some questions about whether just if he's all in would get better or how how strongly he feels about the team. Like all of those different things. There are some questions and this is going to happen. He's not going to be here long-term and we're better to do it now. And when we've been at our best here, Pete, it's been when you've been coaching young guys. It's been when 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 we've completely turned the page and said, all right, let's go. We're going to we're going to get 60 of the most talented young guys that we can in here and we're going to let them fight like hell to determine. That's when we've been at our okay, best. OK, I'm going to play Pete Carroll. You just played a beautiful John Schneider. And what you said is you're going to blow a little smoke up my ass as Pete Carroll, right? <laughs> That's correct. I enjoyed that. That felt very good as Pete Carroll. <laughs> I'm now 70 and I'm. Some would say I look older than Pete Carroll. So I'll play the role of Pete Carroll and let's continue our our role play here. All right, John, if, I do, if I'm okay, if I do this, if I agree to this, what are you going to do with the other guys? What are you going to do with Wagner? What are we doing with Lockett? What are we doing with DK Metcalf, who's got a year left, and then we got to, uh, I'm assuming we got to either sign him now or trade him now because he's got a year left. We don't want to get into a franchise tag situation with Metcalf. What am I doing with Jamal Adams? If I'm okay with your, 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 plan what's what's the next thing to fall the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to get younger and we're going to do that we how are we going to do this we love bobby wagner but the reality is is that we've got young linebackers who make significantly less money that we've invested in and it looked pretty good in that last game hold on john john do you plan to tell bobby <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I'm going to stop what we're doing right now and to send him a text to make sure that the very first person he hears that from, because that would be a terrible thing to have our franchise's leading tackler and the uh, one guy that's gotten an MVP vote in this whole time to hear it any other way than directly from me. Okay, good. Okay, Pete, I've sent the text. We're covered okay, there. Okay. Uh, we're going to get younger there. We, we've got to get younger. We looked good in game 16, game 17 with with Cody Barton and with Jordan Brooks playing at playing at the linebacker spots and Daryl Taylor. We like our young linebackers. Jamal Adams, that's going to be we're going to hope he stays healthy. He's a hell of a player when he's healthy and we need to have him rushing the quarterback. As for Tyler, I think we got to look and see what's out there. But DK Metcalf is not going anywhere. 
you you do not find guys who are as competitive and as big and as fast as he is at that premium position. DK Metcalf is going to be here for a long time. Oh. And at quarterback, quarterback's the yeah. obvious question. Deshaun? I think there's I think there's a promising guy in the draft at Malik Willis. We're going to get Drew Locke, who's a second-round pick, and maybe he just needs a little bit of a change of scenery. And win Danny O'Neill a Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a competition. That's what you always say, Pete. Compete, compete, compete. compete. That's yeah. what we're going to do at quarterback. Wait a second, John. Doesn't, uh, doesn't DK want $100 million? Yeah, he's going to come down a little bit from that. But yeah, we're going to give him a top-shelf contract. But okay. at this point... Who else are we going to pay? We're fine what as do, far as the salary cap What goes. are we going to do about our, our offensive line, in particular our left tackle, John? Well, we got a plan? new offensive line coach, right? Yes, we, we got do. a new offensive line coach. Yes, we and do. And we're going we're gonna to go how to many, him and ask how him. How many of those have we gone through, John? <laughs> well, but this time, this time it's going to work because he's in lockstep with our <laughs> offensive coordinator. And what we know is that it can't get worse, right? Like eventually we're going to get a guy in here that can coach the offensive line. We're, we're going to build a group that is able to execute that scheme. And we've now got a quarterback when, when we get this role and we'll have a quarterback that's working within the okay. offense, which we all love Russ, right? We do. We all love the way Russ plays, but God help Nathaniel Hackett when he sits there and says, I can't wait to put my offense in because surprise, buddy, you're running the Russell Wilson offense and he's going to hold the ball forever and he's going to run around and do his twirly whirly and sometimes it's going to be great and sometimes he's going to take an 18-yard sack. We're going to have a different system going forward. Last question, John. Are you sure that if we didn't, if we called Mark Rogers right now and offered, offered him $50 million a year for four years, are we sure that they're going to say no? I keep going to voicemail. <laughs> if you'd like to call Mark Rogers, oh. perhaps he has not blocked your number, so oh. perhaps you'd be able to get through. Oh, God. But as from everything I've heard from him, they want no part of us. Okay. All right, so now we bring the, the fun and jovial topics to a little bit of a serious tone because we can't get through this segment without talking about the possibility of Deshaun Watson. Now, I believe the last time you and I chatted on a show last week, it was before Friday, so we had not heard from a grand jury in Houston, which took a look at a lot of information, mm -hmm. over 22 to 24 cases, and decided that there is no, no road for criminal proceedings. There's not enough evidence to continue on a, in a criminal sense against Deshaun Watson, which clears him at least one hurdle. There's a lot more. Everybody knows that. Um, what does Danny O'Neill think will happen? What does Danny O'Neill, the human being, thinks, think should happen? Where do you want to go with Deshaun Watson? Well, let's start with what Friday said, which was he's not going to face criminal charges. And that's important to recognize. It means that a grand jury looked at and, and how the specifics break down is there's 22 civil suits, 22 women who have joined in a civil suit against him for what, what I think is best to describe is that it's, it's sexual improprieties. And then there were 10 women who came forward with criminal complaints. Eight of those women are from the group that's suing him. Two of the women are not involved in civil litigation, but there were 10 criminal complaints. The grand jury looked at the evidence from both sides. We don't know what the evidence was, but they looked at the complaints that were forwarded and decided there's not enough to charge here. And and that's an important threshold, right? I think 
and I'll and I'll come back. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to come back and get some things off my chest. I think not only an important threshold, kind of an under-considered part of this because you understand the masses in the universe. We're all anti-Deshaun Watson, so you're not hearing a lot about that determination based on, would you say, 10? 10. 10. They looked at 10, 10. and decided he's There's not going to face criminal here. charges. Nothing right. here. There's not enough here to charge him with any wrongdoing, and we've got 10. We don't have one. We've got 10. Okay, continue on. And I would say that, that that decision on itself reflects that there wasn't enough evidence. It doesn't mean that nothing happened, and it doesn't mean that the women's accounts were not believable. Right. It means that they didn't see this being able to be proven in, in a court of law. I don't think the Seahawks are going to trade for him, but I don't know that. I do believe a team will. I, I, I believe he is going to get traded this offseason. If I was an NFL team, I would not trade for him. And I, I, would, I wouldn't consider him an employable player. And, and my reasons for that are less based on the idea that he has committed some unforgivable transgression because, honestly, there's not a ton of clarity about what's what, happened. Correct. But part of that is because he hasn't been clear about what's happened. On that Friday, when the grand jury is not indicting him, he was invoking the Fifth Amendment and not answering questions as part of a deposition for those civil cases unrelated to the criminal complaints. And that's his right. And it's probably sound legal strategy. But for that question of of what exactly happened, I, I don't think he's I don't think he's adequately addressed it to to be at the point where I would say, I don't think he's asked for forgiveness and he might. And if his answer is, I didn't do anything that needs to be forgiven and it wasn't, it didn't result in a criminal charge. I'm like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's an accurate summary or reading of, of what has happened because short of a public acknowledgement from him about what happened and how there came to be 22 women who are suing him for what seemed like remarkably consistent stories about him making sexual advances or conducting himself in a sexual way over something that was not, that was, they're, they're massage therapists. They weren't, that, that, they did not consent to some sort of sexual encounter with him and he made it. So that's, that's my answer about how I feel what about if he, him. What if he comes into your office and says, I'm going to tell you, Danny, no, John, you're playing John. I'm going to tell Jody's in there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. I just haven't been able tactically from a legal standpoint to do this in front of a microphone. I'm happy to sit in front of you and tell you exactly what did or didn't happen in those rooms. I would find that compelling and I'd want to hear it. Yeah. But I'd want to hear it be the truth because the what does not. I can't imagine that the truthful explanation for this is everybody got it mixed up here. No. Everybody just no. misunderstood no. what was happening no. because no. I think it's pretty clear that maybe it's not able to be proven in a court of law what happened. And and that might reflect as much the difficulty of prosecuting these kind of crimes. Or or, or, or let me let me jump in. May you say maybe it wasn't able to be proven in a court in, in a court of law. Maybe what happened doesn't rise to criminal. Maybe what happened was inappropriate and harassment and deplorable and selfish and hurtful, but it doesn't rise to criminal. 
I think we we as a society, and I'm probably most guilty of it, we, we tend to make everything a black and white issue. There is yeah. a lot of gray here. And and I want you to finish before I go through my little soapbox, which I'm I'm still kind of thinking about whether I want to do or not based on what you say. But go ahead. I think I think that's a good point, Mitch, of to characterize it. What what is it that actually happened? happened. Right. And, and 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 I could see that of, hey, this is this is not a situation where there is alleged to have been a date rape or that it's more unwanted sexual contact than it is a violent assault. And even saying that, I realize that you, it sounds like I'm minimizing what has happened. But as far as the starting point for it, there would have to be an honest acknowledgement from him about what happened, because I don't believe he's blameless in this. Oh, no, I don't there's believe, no and, question. Right, right. And that's, and no there has to be something of like, hey, but we don't know that he's acknowledgement, not willing. You remorse, want public. And that's what's missing from you it all. You want that that's public. What, you want that public. It's not enough no, for him to come I, I don't even office. know if I do. I don't even know if I do. If I'm looking at employing him, yeah. I don't know if it needs to be public. I need to know that he's made amends to the people he hurt. What about which, the slippery slope of if there are, and I think there are pro-Deshaun Watson people out there. They exist. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you my thoughts as somebody who's made a lot of mistakes in his life and has suffered the ultimate... or a lot of penalties, a lot of consequences, I should say the ultimate. Um, and it's going to sound like I'm a Deshaun Watson proponent, which I'm not. But what about those that are staunchly behind him that say, hold on a second. Do we need to go up and down your roster, Mr. Schneider? Do we need to go up and down your roster, Mr. Texans? Do we need to go up and down your roster, Mr. David Tepper of the Carolina Panthers? You, Because, because my guy has not been... My guy had 10 groups of investigations sitting before a grand jury and has been essentially sent home, no wrongdoing criminally. Want to mm-hmm. talk about your guys who have been convicted and have, some of which have gone to jail? Want to talk about those guys? It's what do you say? Very, it's a very fair point. And my answer would be, I want to hear accountability from them. I want to hear an acknowledgement and that it doesn't mean that I only employ people who have never made mistakes or never been charged with a crime or never, but I don't employ anybody who I believe has not been accountable for things that they've done. That, that, that would be my personal answer. And the league's rife with hypocrisy. And there's no doubt that the more talented players get bigger breaks. And I don't think that's right, right at all. But in determining whether or not I would employ Deshaun Watson, if I was running an NFL team, yes, it, it, it would come down to accountability. Yeah. Has, is there, has he actually acknowledged and sought to atone and, and recognize what he did and how he was wrong? And I don't, I don't think anything that's happened in that case cl- comes close to no question him putting putting where where I would be comfortable at all I- employing him. And I'd be I'd be really disappointed if the Seahawks sign him. Got it or trade for him. Got it. Well, I, I've I've kind of waffled about where I wanted to go on this subject because this is a this is a dicey one, and anything you say can be pulled around and made it to be something that it's not. I would say, first of all, that if I were Jody Allen, I would not trade for Deshaun Watson. 
I would not want Deshaun Watson to be my quarterback. I'm not sure whether it's because I don't think he deserves another chance or it's just because of the reality that I'm going to really alienate a large group of men and women in my fan base. Mm -hmm. And that may be just enough where, hey, I, I just, it's more important to me that the community be proud of my team than it is that I win. And I'm not here, Danny, to defend Deshaun Watson. It's going to sound like what I say in the next couple of minutes is going to sound like, oh, Mitch is defending. Jo-. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just somebody who comes at this from a different, a little bit of a different angle. I've made my mistakes. I've watched my dirty laundry made very public. Deservedly so, I might add. I got what I deserved. I watched my reputation go down the toilet. I watched my career be lost. I watched my money be lost. I watched friends be lost. So I come at this in a little bit of a different situation. I would just say, and I'm glad that you talked about Friday the way you did, because it's bothered me ever since Friday the way the universe has reacted to that. It hasn't been undercovered. I think it's been underconsidered. I think that it's abundantly clear, abundantly clear that Deshaun Watson made some really bad choices. I use the word deplorable. Though deplorable actions, there's a range. There's a huge football field of possibilities from one to 100. If 100 is physically, forcibly raping an assault in this case, 100 then maybe one is having bad thoughts when he walks into the room and 99 spots in between on our range. The number, I think, is 22 or is it 24? The amount of women. Is it 24? I think it's 22. 22. And look, that number makes it virtually impossible for any of us to arrive at sympathy for Deshaun Watson. But I would just say as you did, and you did it more eloquently than I did about Friday, while the number 22 hurts him dramatically and should let's flip it around and consider that a grand jury was not shown one investigation one alleged incident which you know if it was one holes could be poked in the witness there could have been mistakes made by the investigators one could go the other way very easy but now let's talk about 10 10 groups of incidents and investigations were placed in what we're supposed to believe is an impartial group of people's hands to decide, is there any reason to proceed criminally with this man? And the answer was no. We go back to that scale and we wonder what happened. Again, Deshaun Watson made decisions that were painful and hurtful and at the very least awkward for others. His Mm -hmm. reputation should be soiled. He should have to face these civil lawsuits and the potential loss of millions and millions of millions of dollars. Absolutely. The other thing that I would bring up, and this is much lesser a point, but I do want to bring it up because I don't think anybody's talking about it. It's kind of gauche to do it. So I'll be the one who's gauche to do it. There's a lawyer here that I believe is involved in either all 22 or just about all 22 of these civil lawsuits. Am I right yeah, or wrong about that? It, it's it's all 22 of the all civil 22. lawsuits. As of Friday's results, these are all civil-only pieces of litigation. And again, not defending Deshaun Watson, sure as hell that he was a creep at least and maybe more in those 22 incidents. But if you don't think 
that there's at least a small, thin layer of greediness here, maybe a thick haze of greediness of an attorney that's chasing massage therapists, looking for them to come out of the woodwork, perhaps coercing and convincing, maybe exaggerating stories for the sake of the almighty dollar. There's got to be a small part of that in this. I've said what I've said. I'm not making Deshaun Watson out to be an angel. He's far from it. He should suffer a lot of consequences to his behavior. He was wrong. But I just think that the world has decided this is the world's worst human being. And even though the grand jury said on Friday there's nothing criminal here, ah, there was something criminal there. He was guilty of of criminal actions. I cringed at the reaction to Friday's news. That's what I'll say. You made a point about things not being black or white and that it's not one or the other. It's not that Deshaun Watson is innocent and did no wrong. And it it's also the fact that there isn't a charge being placed against him reflect that there's a, there's some significant doubt as to the specifics of what occurred. I think what I would say is that for me, the line involves consent. And when you read through the accounts and Sports Illustrated had a story, the, the main issue for me is that Deshaun Watson had a number of massage therapists, which in and of itself is exceptionally strange for a pro athlete. They are usually extremely picky about who works on their body. Yes, And consistently, what he did was with massage therapists who provided no sexual services, were not sex workers, he consistently pushed the boundary and passed that boundary. And for when when I talked about like him needing to acknowledge, he has to explain that he understands how he it's clear to me that he violated or did not and consider and that, that, that level of consent and me too. and, and yes. to get to the point where you, where you talk about, okay, how does, would you employ him? How does he get back for me? Like that part of it has to be an understanding from him. He has to acknowledge how that happened and to, to show that he understands that he, he has to respect and, and requires the consent of women to touch them in that way. Um, but it is. And and when we talk about these these things, especially today, they it gets lumped into, well, I don't care if he wasn't charged. It I, I still think it happened. And it's well, that's a piece of information. The fact that he didn't get charged is a piece of information that you take into account. It's not everything, but it's it's certainly it's certainly part of the story. I cringed when I saw the reactions of people who were oh, this shows that everybody got it wrong. And I'm like, well, uh-huh. no, it shows that it's really hard to prove those cases. It, and and that we don't we don't know what happened in that room. We still don't. We don't know that nothing happened. We just know that the authorities felt they couldn't prove it. Well, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. In fact, I can't think of anything that I disagree with because I I started off by saying, and I'll end by saying, I would not trade for Deshaun Watson if I were the Seahawks. And clearly, he acted terribly inappropriate with either all of them or a number of those. Of those therapists, I was just voicing, and I hope you understand, I hope everybody understands, I was voicing a reaction that I had to the news on Friday. Fairly insignificant if it were one, two, or three. The fact that it's 10 sets of investigations 
And the answer is, we're not moving forward. We're not comfortable moving forward criminally. To me, that's a significant, significant happening on Friday. Doesn't make Deshaun Watson a good guy. Doesn't make him any less of a creep. I just wanted to get off my chest what I said. I think it's important that we talked about it. And the reason that I respect you for bringing it up and and going into it is because the tendency to just put people in a basket and say, oh, that's beyond the pale. We can't consider it. We don't talk about the issues that are actually at stake. And I think that's the opportunity to understand and have a greater understanding. In this case, for me, it's consent. But like you said, to understand what actually went on. So we we talk about, because it's people that are involved. This isn't, it's, it's, it's not just sort of, uh, they're not characters. That's that they're people that are involved on all ends of it. Three guests, actually four. the Seahawks. No table is two guests, Henderson and fan. Then Peter King with a national look, a national insiders look and how it happened. The, uh, Russell Wilson trade. And then Jeff Legwald, who is the ESPN.com. Broncos insider to inform us about Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and Shelby Harris, and the Broncos side to this ever interesting story on episode 182. Well, it's time for some humble pie. Normally, Katie Versio, senior financial planner, Evergreen Golf Call is back with us. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. I'm ready to go better than one for three. What's the theme this week? So the theme today, it's a March market update. I'm sure you've seen there's been a lot of volatility in the market. I pulled some questions from our most recent podcast, The Evergreen Exchange. So that's a bi-weekly podcast that we put out that discusses investing, the economy, and financial planning topics. So for those of your listeners that are interested in listening to that podcast, you can find The Evergreen Exchange anywhere you listen. Very good. I love The Evergreen Exchange, which means I'm going to do very well this week. Question number one, I'm ready. So inflation numbers for February were recently announced. The highest rate of inflation since 1982. What was that percentage? Was it 6%, 7%, 8%, or 9%? Oh, I think it's 7 or 8. I'll go 7%. I'll go B. It was actually 8%. So 7.9%. You were close. You're in the ballpark there. Down. Yeah. So that's the highest number, almost 40 years. It's driven so much by commodity prices, the price of oil. We're all seeing that at the pump. So it's been gradually increasing for the last year or so. And and these numbers are quite staggering. I'm 0 for 1. Question number two with Katie Versio. Many market indexes like the NASDAQ, as well as some European and Asian stocks are now in what's considered a bear market. So how much does the market have to be down for it to be considered a bear market? Is it down 15, 20, or 25%? I'll say 15%, Katie. Actually, 20%. So the NASDAQ is down about 20% now. And within that, about half of the names in that index are down about 50% from their one-year highs. So there's been a huge pullback in that area. A lot of different companies are down. So it's been a, it's been a really volatile year. I'm 0 for 2. I got one last shot, but I'm feeling good about question three. What do you got? So during times of market volatility, I spend a lot of time coaching clients about the importance of staying invested and remembering to buy low and sell high. So there was a study done where if you if you invested $10,000 into the S&P 500 20 years ago, that you would have returned about 9.5% annually. However, if you sold out 
and missed the 10 best days in the market, your return would have substantially suffered. Let's say you did that, you missed the 10 best days, what would your return have been annually? 5%, 6%, or 7%? I'm gonna say I'm staying with a 5%. That's right, yes. you got that one. Yeah, so I think it's pretty staggering to see that you know, if you would have just stayed invested, you would return about 9.5%, but if you missed the 20 best days of the year, you would have shrunk that return to 5%. So it really highlights the importance to stay invested and to stay with the strategy. And maybe even invest some more when it's down. Katie Versio. That's exactly right. We love Katie Versio. Evergreen Golf Call, the Evergreen Exchange, a bi-weekly podcast. Evergreen's been a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, and Evergreen is everything wealth. Unfiltered. With the 47th pick in the 2012 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Bobby Wagner, linebacker, Utah State. With the 75th pick in the 2012 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Russell Wilson, quarterback, Wisconsin. My teammates are just incredible. You know, we've been we've been relentless all season. Ever since we lost Atlanta last year in the playoffs, I, I remember having that good feeling. I was like, man, we're gonna we're gonna go to the Super Bowl. Well, this episode 182 goes no further, ladies and gentlemen. I don't even know if I should bring this up. He probably didn't even think about it. We're doing a Zoom on the uh, on the Seahawks note table for this episode 182 because of all of the, the fireworks the last week and a half. And I'm looking at Joe, Joe Fan, my guy, from Vegas as he considers his NCAA tournament uh, wagers. And Brady Henderson of ESPN and ESPN.com. Joe, a San Francisco 49ers shirt today as we record the note table. Oh, well, I regret wearing it. Now that you brought it up. <laughs> no, I, this isn't a good story. I mean, I probably had $5,000 worth of uh -oh. really nice Nike gear when I worked for the Niners. I mean, I just got new gear every oh. year, whether it's nice jackets shoes hats pants polos whatever uh and basically when i announced i was leaving and going to nbc sports bay area i threw all of it in trash bags and took it around the office and i played santa claus and and i was the most popular guy in the office that day and because I, I mean i was like the team reporter i just got like the nicest gear and i kept a couple of shirts because they're just like comfy either workout or post shower uh shirts which is where we're at in this given moment as we're recording but no, no thought behind it. I own a, I own a Steve Largent jersey. I have a Joe Fan jersey with two ends on the back. I, <laughs> I've got helmets of both teams because I worked for both teams. You know, nice. nothing to read into it. Nice, nice. All right, Brady Henderson, your first reaction, if you can remember, whatever it was, ten days ago. By the time people listen to this, when you heard, how did you hear that Russell Wilson was traded to the Broncos? Is it Schefter or somebody else? It was Adam Schefter's uh, tweet, actually his email. And, and um, you know, the, the way it works at ESPN, usually when, when one of our big newsbreakers like Schefter breaks a story, he, he usually will send an email to the news desk and CC whatever reporter on, on the team uh, in question. And so uh, I saw the email from Schefter with the, the, the brief story that he wrote. And then I saw the tweet after that. And it was go time as a reporter. You know, obviously we don't have any sort of skin in the game here, but you still get that kind of rush of adrenaline. Like, okay, <laughs> you know, your next few weeks is going to be pretty busy. So it was a fun, busy day, but a fun day. Joe, are you surprised? No, I, I no. I mean, we've been talking about this as a possibility for a year. So it's always a bit jarring when it actually happens and you see the, the Photoshop 
edits of Russell Wilson in a Broncos jersey and all of that. But no, I don't think anyone should be genuinely surprised. This is not something that came out of nowhere. It mm-hmm. came out of nowhere in the sense of Pete Carroll saying, we're not trading the quarterback and hearing that Russell Wilson wants to spend his entire career in Seattle. If you just take those comments at face value and then don't think about any other part of the situation and anything else that's transpired over the last 12 months, then yes, it would be a surprise. But I don't know how you can be totally surprised. I don't know. I had a lot of reactions to it. A, I felt a little bit of vindication given that I felt like I was on this train for a while of saying, hey, this is a possibility if things don't progress, if they don't improve significantly in 2021, this is a potential outcome. You know, I think also you look at quarterbacks, you know, Russell Wilson changed his whole Twitter account to take all mentions of the Seahawks and the pictures off of it. And, you know, people want to be like, oh, does that mean something? And so many people are, are so quick to jump down everyone's throat and saying, go do something else with your time. This is much to do about nothing. This doesn't, whatever. And it's, I mean, this didn't come out of nowhere. This wasn't just like a, you know, Aaron Rodgers signs his deal. So he's not being traded to the Broncos and George Payton picks up the phone at John Schneider and the deal's done. And the same hour that then it's, it's announced Aaron Rodgers is going back. I mean, this is something that's been in the works. Russell Wilson was very much aware, you know, stay, this is, this never gets to gets announced without him already agreeing that he will go to the Denver Broncos. No, I wasn't that surprised. It's again, jarring when you first see it, but everyone to a degree should have been bracing themselves for this outcome. Yeah, and I have, uh, at least so far, I, I've resisted the urge to go back and, and dig up some uh, old tweets at, at people who had, you know, called called whatever I wrote about the possibility of the Seahawks trading Russell Wilson, you know, laughed it off as fake news and all that. I, I have not done that, but however, I am going to reserve the right to do that <laughs> if I have a bad day and feel like taking out my frustration on somebody. I love so, Petty Brady. Everybody out there, Petty Brady. everybody out there, th- the, the tweets are out there. So just, okay. just know that I have those, um, you know, Joe, Joe made the point. He, he, he talked about, you know, what Pete Carroll had, had said at the combine about having no intention of trading Wilson, what Wilson had said late last season about, you know, how his hope is to stay here. I think in both of those cases, there was a little bit of wordplay there. Um, you know, it was, it was non-definitive terms. You know, I, I think I made the point at the time, Pete Carroll saying, you know, we have no intention of trading Russell Wilson is that stopped well short of saying that they're not going to trade him. Now, granted, even saying we have no intention of trading him, look, based on on the timeline that Schefter reported, which is that the trade had been going on, or the trade talks had been going on for a couple of weeks, uh, based on what I'd heard that uh, John Schneider and George Payton, the Broncos GM, were meeting at the Senior Bowl in January and discussing this all the way back then. Um, you know, Pete Carroll had to know that something was up as kind of a side note there. I, I think that Pete Carroll really had to be convinced of this. I think this was something that John Schneider wanted to do more than Pete Carroll. And so maybe part of Carroll's wording there was, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't sold at that point, you know, a week before the trade that they were really going to do it. Um, but I think even with Wilson, you know, the, the way that you heard him speak kind of non-definitively about how he hopes to stay in Seattle. I think he too was leaving, leaving himself some wiggle room in the event that it did happen and in, in the event that he wanted it to happen. So what was it, do you think, speculate here, Brady, what was it that John Schneider said to Pete Carroll that convinced him? Because the other part of this is we were not only told that they are not shopping and they have no intention of trading Russell Wilson, we were also told that if they ever did, they wouldn't do it without a clear path to a good starting quarterback 
in replacement. And as of the time of this recording, that person doesn't exist on the roster. So what was it that you think John Sch- did John Schneider said, hey, you're you're a young 70. We can do this. Let's tank. <laughs> let's tank next year. Let's tank you. Let's tank next year and let's think about 23 and 24 and 25. Or did he say something that we don't know about yet, which is I'm going to go get this guy, this guy, this guy, and we're going to be damn good in 22. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about it the other night with Randy Mueller. I I do think that they're going to make a a run or at least very strongly look into the possibility of, of trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. And so maybe, maybe that was part of that discussion. I don't think that they like any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft strongly enough to take them, take one of those guys with the first round pick with the thought that that guy's going to step in and, and replace Russell Wilson right away. I got that sense before the combine and I've gotten that sense after the combine. So that just makes your question an even better one because it's it's still very much unclear. Maybe the plan is you go with kind of a stopgap option, uh, whether it's Drew Locke or, or somebody else. Maybe there's a free agent that you sign. Maybe there's another kind of veteran, middling veteran that you trade for with the thought that he's more of a stopgap. And then you you use all that newfound draft wealth to go draft uh, Bryce Young early in next year's draft. But it, it is a really good question because, again, I do think that Pete Carroll had to be convinced of this and maybe – you know, maybe part of that conversation too was it's been seven years that that they've gone seven years since they started paying Russell Wilson at or near the top of the quarterback market. Haven't got past the divisional round since then. That, that's not Wilson's fault. That's I think I think a function of look. It's hard to build a roster around quarterback with all the money that they're making, and it's hard to do that when you're now having to keep up with this skyrocketing quarterback market. Probably looking at fifty million dollars if the Seahawks would have extended Russell Wilson next offseason. So. There's the obvious counterpoint to that, which is, yeah, it's hard to build around uh, that big of a contract. It's probably even harder to win without a quarterback quarterback like Russell Wilson. Joey Madness, the man who really enjoyed watching Brooks Kepka dunk about six of them into the pond at 17. Joey, (laughs) did you like the trade? Did you expect more, less, or was that about right? I think it was about right. I, I tweeted this when it went down. I think the package is what people should have expected. I still don't know what that bill is. It oh. means that you're pubbing yourself. You're, you're promoting yourself. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It, Go ahead. Continue. Isn't that what it means? If I'm you're, not saying. That's a secret. Go ahead. I thought it was like when you're being like self-promotal. If I was just, like, I said on my podcast or I have a podcast this and it's like, oh, you're promoting yourself. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm on the right track. It's in uh, that ballpark. So you like the deal. Vein. You like the deal. You thought it was just about right. Yeah. I think especially when you consider Russ's no trade clause, that limits who your trade partners are. So if X team is willing to give you seven first round picks and Russ isn't willing to go there, it's it's a moot point of what you can get from them. So I think two first rounders, two second rounders, and a couple of capable NFL players, I think Noah Fant is a star. I think it's much more or much harder to accept and appreciate it's much less palatable because of the Jamal Adams trade that happened a couple of years ago. And this is obviously a much bigger trade of the two first round picks. And again, the, this Shelby Harris and, and Noah Fant, but it's in the same ballpark. And even the fact that Russell Wilson is in a trade, that's the same ballpark of what they traded for Jamal Adams is sort of tough to swallow, but yes, he is a quarterback on the wrong side of 30 with declining mobility. And that's not to say he doesn't have good football ahead of him, but how, what is that ceiling now? You know, now he's in a, in a, in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. 
how close truly is he going to be to those guys in terms of echelon of quarterback in this league for the next two, three, four, five years? So, yes, it's it's hard to stomach. It's hard to believe for a number of Seahawks fans that are going to have a hard time watching him another jersey. But when it comes to making a trade, I'm not sure they could have asked for much more. Deshaun Watson, you start, Joe. He was cleared. Oh he was cleared on Friday of any further criminal proceedings. Uh, Danny O'Neill and I talked about that in the first segment. I gave a lot of heartfelt comments about that. Going back to my experiences, I uh, I'd like to know. That's a very polarizing question, not just here in Seattle, but everywhere. You bring up the name Deshaun Watson on your Twitter, and people have plenty to say both ways. What would you say to Jody Allen if she said, Joe, what should I do on Deshaun yeah, Watson? All right, get the bell ready. I want to see it up in your palm. I want to see it. Get ready. Yeah, so I tweeted out when this went down that <laughs> this is sort of my takeaway. It's three It's three points. You can be, you cannot be a criminal and still be a creep that has vices that are deviant and manipulative and uh, damaging to others. Yes, he was cleared of wrongdoing in the court of law, but are we really meant to believe that 24 women completely fabricated their entire story and colluded together to try to take this guy down? Also, who has 20 plus massage therapists in general and is flying them in from out of state and in their DMs and it just is all very uncomfortable. Should he be blackballed from the league? No, I wouldn't say that, but I would say it's understandable if the Seahawks were to trade for him, a sizable faction of Seahawks fans decided that, you know what? I'm going to put this on pause for now because like, I can't really stomach this. If they have friends, family members, loved ones who have been victims of sexual assault and haven't seen justice, it is a tough game when you get into the he said versus she said and there is a ton of gray area but when we're talking he said versus she said times 24 all of a sudden it it just feels like there's way too much smoke for there to be no fire at all and i'm not saying that deshaun watson is an evil man is a is a bad human but uh, there are some skeletons there and I understand why people would want no business with him being in Seattle. Brady, how do you, as you take on this delicate subject, how do you rationalize the drafting of Frank Clark? How do you rationalize Jaron Reed? How do you rationalize? And we can go on and on and on with Seahawks players that have run afoul with the law. How do you rationalize and balance history versus what you do with Deshaun Watson, such a marquee piece and face of the organization. I mean, Mitch, if, if you talk to people with the Seahawks, they would tell you that they believe to this day that Frank Clark is innocent and that he did not do what he was accused of doing. And, okay. you know, I think, I think he and, and his uh, girlfriend came out uh, a few years ago and she basically, I don't, I don't want to speak too definitively on what she said, but she more or less took responsibility for that uh, incident. And so, I think it would have to be, it, this is going to happen. If the Seahawks were to trade for Deshaun Watson, there would have to be a similar, you know, his name would have to be sufficiently cleared. Obviously there's the the criminal side. He's not going to face charges there. He still faces 
22 civil lawsuits. I, I cannot see them going after him and pulling off a trade for him uh, while those are still outstanding. And there would have to be, you know, those would have to be settled. And I think even then you asked about, uh, yeah, settled or, or thrown out, or you asked about Jody Allen. I mean, Jody Allen's not listening to me on this, but if, if she were to ask me, I would say, look, if you were to do this, you couldn't just have this vague, um, you know, sort of explanation of, yeah, we looked, we looked really hard into this and, and we believe in the guy. You couldn't just be like that because then you are, you are asking people to take this massive leap of faith that, Oh, just because you are vouching for him, that that's supposed to be okay for everybody. I don't think that would be good enough, but, and, and that's why it's such a tricky deal there because the alternative to that is you're explaining what happened and you're calling these people who accused him uh, of some pretty heinous things. You're effectively calling them liars. So it's sort of like a, a no win situation. It's a really difficult one. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat what somebody told me, uh, a point that somebody told me recently. He's going to be playing in the NFL for some team next season. I don't know if it's going to be the Seahawks. It sounds like he's going to have a robust enough market, but I do think the Seahawks are, are really going to go after him. Bobby Wagner. Can I make one yeah. more point? Yes, you didn't raise your hand, but yes. I know, because I, I'm debating whether or not I want to bring it up because it's going to upset some people. Go ahead. But it is Mitch Unfiltered. How do I want to phrase this? I just would love to to hear some side of his his story that we we probably will never get. But when his first reaction is, you know, you stand on the side of truth. Thank you to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, what is your what is your truth? What is, what is that that again? Like Brady said, we're calling all of these women just blatant liars, and they all banded together. Uh, my guess is largely strangers. I can't imagine these women know each other. Somehow, like, oh, you're also his massage there. Oh, you're also, and then let's bring it on. And you're just calling them liars. And thank God for true. I, you know, I don't know, but just like doesn't sit super well with me. Is there any sort of remorse? Is there any sort of like, listen, I don't think I'm a criminal, but like I have some things and some demons and some things that I need to fix and get right and be a better person and be a better man. But when you immediately shout from the rooftops vindication, thanks God for standing by my side, never a doubt sort of deal. I don't know. Just kind of feels weird for me. Let's segue if we can to Bobby Wagner. You've also been outspoken on your Twitter about Bobby Wagner's contention that not only was he cut, but he wasn't even told that he was cut. Now, there's always two sides to every story. I, I hesitated, uh, unlike you, Joe, to run out and and throw stones at the Seahawks because I, I, I'll bet you that they have a different version. We hear this from time to time. A player say, oh, my God, they didn't even tell me after all I've done for them. And then we find out this is a different story. Uh, let's start. I guess, Brady, do you believe that Bobby Wagner was not even – was told by social media that he was no longer a Seahawk. I would think that you guys are going to tell me that they negotiated or they tried to come up with a lesser number to keep him around. Or maybe you're going to tell me the Seahawks just didn't want Bobby Wagner around for $2 million a year. I would have thought that there'd be some sort of negotiation. Wagner's team said, that's too severe of a cut. We're going to go out and play the market. And that's what happened. But what do you think happened, Brady? No, I I actually don't. 
I, it would not surprise me if there was no offer of a pay cut because it, then you run the risk of insulting the guy. Like if there's a number that the Seahawks have in mind where they would, they would want Bobby Wagner at, I mean, maybe that number is, would be such a shock to him that you just wouldn't even bother. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you say, like I mentioned on the show the other night, like maybe you tell him on the way out, Hey, you know, let us know, at least give us, give us a chance to, to match it uh, depending on what offer you get and what offers you're considering. But no, I, I think the comment, I, I did not read that at all as, as the Seahawks did not inform him. I mean, if you look at the wording of the, sh- of the tweet from Adam Schefter, who broke the story, it was the Seahawks have informed Bobby Wagner that he's being released. So of course, this, I mean, this guy's played here for 10 years. Well, Wagner said, of, so what do you say to Wagner who says they didn't even tell me? I think that he's, I, I don't think he's saying what it sounds like he's saying. Oh. I think I, I would guess that he's saying he probably heard scuttlebutt before, before they actually told him that they were releasing him. He probably heard through the NFL grapevine. Remember, he's his own agent now. So he's probably, you know, looking around and, and keeping his ears open for, for, for what's going to happen. He probably heard that that it was going to happen, but there's no, there's zero doubt in my mind that the Seahawks called him and told him uh, that he was being released. Of, of course, I think the other side of that is, well, who called him? Was it John Schneider? Was it Pete Carroll? Cause if he's saying they, as in Pete and John didn't even, were even the ones to tell me it was someone on John's staff or whomever. I'm, I'm sure it was Pete and or John. Yeah. I mean, awesome. either, either Bobby Wagner is lying or it's a really bad look on the Seahawks. There's no in-between, in my opinion. Like, it's that simple. So let's finish with this. Uh, This week marks the beginning of negotiating with free agents. Where do the Seahawks turn? We'll wait and see on quarterback. But what about Tyler Lockett? I know there's some complications, some salary cap complications with trading him. What about DK Metcalf? Don't you, Brady, have to either give him a new deal with one year left or trade him? Could they trade DK Metcalf? What's next? What's the next big one? To fall, tell us Seahawks fans so that they're not caught off guard when Schefter starts tweeting again. I mean, I, I don't know if there is another big shoe to drop in terms of the Seahawks moving on from a big name player. I mean, again, it, it's so hard to know where they feel like they're at without knowing what their plan is at quarterback. And maybe I'll say this, like I think all the people who have pointed to Bobby Wagner's release as further sign that the Seahawks are in, quote, full rebuild mode, I would say that I don't necessarily see it that way because I think Bobby Wagner would have been released regardless of what happened with Russell Wilson. I think those two situations are totally independent of themselves. And there's a part of me that wonders maybe if the Seahawks feel like that they're not going to be in a total rebuild mode, obviously they're rebuilding to some degree, but I think there's different, different, you know, levels of that. And again, if, if they have something up their sleeve, at quarterback, they've got all this draft capital, all this uh, cap space. Maybe they feel like they could be competitive in 2022. I, I don't know. We have not heard from them yet. I don't have a great feel for that, but I do think that in free agency, some of the moves that they make, I think will will be telling as to what level of rebuild they feel like they're in for. If they go yeah. sign or re-sign a 29 year old safety in Quandre Diggs, well, that tells you that they're not in full on rebuild mode. Same with, with Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown, I think, is less likely to be re-signed. I, I kind of get the sense that the Seahawks aren't going to spend big money on their offensive line, but whatever they do in free agency, that's going to give us a, a pretty big clue as to how how big of a rebuild they think they're in for. Joey, you get the last word. Give me the final four, or at least the national champion. This is Joey Fan. Win bet. Follow him on Twitter. He gives you his picks of the day. He tells us when he's right. 
He kind of tells us when he's wrong, but he definitely tells us when he's right. Now, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Don't give me the face, Mr. 49er shirt. Um give us the uh who's cutting the nets down? Who should we bet on in our futures? Gonzaga. Oh. Makes me nervous to say it. Oh. That bracket is a beast. Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona and Kansas. It's chalky, but Very I mean, chalky. chalk makes the final four. Ladies and gentlemen, Joey, uh, Joey Brackett, Joey Fan, Winbet, and Brady Henderson. Thank you guys. You guys are the best. Thanks for doing a Seahawks no table. Appreciate it. Good to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you. Joey in Vegas for March Madness. How good is that? We are way past due for a visit from Zeke's president, Dan Black on Unfiltered. Hey, Dan, how are you? How's Zeke's pizza doing? I'm doing good, Mitch, and we're having fun at Zeke's. I know you are. Seems like fun stuff is happening every day. I understand Mark Few has a new place for pizza and hopefully not too much beer in Spokane. He does have a new place. He's looking forward to seeing you in the bar, or maybe it's the alley. I don't know. (laughs) How was the opening in Spokane? It was really fun. It went really well. It was really busy. We were packed out before the games, and so it exceeded our expectations, and feels good to have planted a flag in a new market. And Mill Creek is on the way. Is that right? Yep, Mill Creek's the next opening, and it's on track for March 2nd right now, so we're excited about that, too. You know what I loved? I love the cheat codes, the Zeke's Pizza cheat codes for the Super Bowl. The Levy family participated. I'm assuming that was a really good February day for you guys. Super Bowl is great, and we love the cheat codes, too. In fact, we love them so much, we've just decided to keep them rolling up until March Madness, which we'll come out with some more codes then. So what were the discounts on the pizza and beer, Dan? Well, this this round, we did $4 off a large, and we really promoted the beer. We got $5 off with a four-pack of Hop Tropic and some other beers. And so we'll probably do something similar, but we'll freshen them up uh, for March Madness. And also want to make sure that we get in on your pool for some prizes and stuff like that. So that'll be fun. Oh, you will. Hey, Dan, before you go, spotlight one of your Northwest seasonal beers for us. Yeah, I'm drinking Flannel Blizzard right now. That's our winter ski beer. So uh, we do it every winter at this time. And it's the only time of year you can get it. Aslan out of Bellingham brews it for us. They're one of the best breweries in the Northwest. And it's super easy drinking Canadian lager. So, you know, you can do more than one and be fine. There's always good things happening at Zeke's Pizza. We love them as a partner. They've been great to me from the radio days all the way to the podcast days. Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. The owner of Fireside Home Solutions, J-Dub, John Waterstrat. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Mitch. Great to be back with you. John, the pandemic, the shipping challenges that come along between fireplaces and garage doors, which you do so well, the Seahawks, the Huskies. It's been a tough go recently, J-Dub. It has been a tough go, and I probably speak for some of those sports fans out there. It's been a rough year. <laughs> That's our stress reliever, I think, in the Northwest <laughs> to see those Seahawks do really well, and my beloved UW Huskies. But uh, hey, we're getting through. We're managing through. For me, the fireplace unit, the garage doors, one thing. You've got great ones. Your competitors have great ones. The difference to me is in the process and service, and I know because I'm a customer. People have no idea. Walk us through what happens after someone decides that they want a new fireplace and they call the Fireside Home Solutions team. 
Yeah, we just talked a little bit about the stress, right? Sports have been tough. Pandemic's been tough. And, and we really believe in this stress-free buying experience. And, and again, you pick your product out. And what we want to do is just like what we did with you guys is we want to send somebody out there, an expert, to walk you through the process. Let's make sure everything's going to fit. Make sure you guys have your questions answered. Instead of having an installer there that doesn't quite know what to do, we don't have good expectations, and get that stress-free buying experience. And again, make sure that they can do their work and you can get what you want. We absolutely love our new patio and setup. What's the current time frame that the pandemic has thrown at you guys for garage doors and fireplace units? Uh, we talked about this in the past. Please talk to your sales rep about what we have in stock. If you need something fast, we're going to have things in stock, both fireplaces and garage doors. Other products, if you're patient and you really want something, we have things that are taking four weeks, sometimes eight weeks. And you wouldn't believe this. We actually have some garage doors that are taking anywhere between oh. nine and 10 months. Wow. That's unbelievable. So patience is truly a virtue. As I said, we're a great customer. We love them. They're the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition and an awesome partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. We presented evidence for over six hours for the grand jury to consider, um, as well as having witnesses available for those persons to testify in front of the grand jury. And the grand jury considered all of that evidence and returned nine no bills against Deshaun Watson involving these nine criminal complaints. Well, many thought that the Seahawks would never pull the trigger on a Russell Wilson trade. In fact, there's a sizable chunk of NFL executives that remain surprised that the team would do so. I need Peter King's perspective here on episode 182 because he's done the digging and here he is. Hi, Peter. I really haven't done digging, Mitch. And hello, Mitch. It's good to actually see you. <laughs> this is cool. Um, I think right now, you know, the Seahawks and also the Wilson camp want to let this happen and sort of make it happen. Look, I know a few things about this. All right. One is this has been in the works for quite a while. Uh, I reported that these two parties, the John Schneider and uh, George Payton, the general manager of the Broncos, have been talking about this since January. They had what I was told is two significant sessions at the uh, Senior Bowl in Alabama at the end of January. And I'm told they even talked before then about it. So this is not something that, and look, this will go against the grain, but I'm starting to believe, but I don't have the full belief in it yet. I'm starting to believe that uh, Denver valued Russell Wilson more highly than it did Aaron Rodgers. Really? In part because Russell Wilson can solve their problem theoretically for the next six to eight years. And Aaron Rodgers could solve their problem maybe for three years. You know, the thing about Aaron Rodgers that nobody is talking about right now. Okay. So he's playing for the Packers in 2022. Do we know anything beyond that right now? I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know, when he announced on Twitter, I'm, I'm there in 22. What else is there? I don't know. And if for some reason he's not set in stone beyond 22, 
I applaud what the Broncos did in taking Russell Wilson over him. But as it relates to Seattle, my feeling is that, uh, you know, the organization had to feel that sometime this spring, this summer, next February, March, probably at the latest, they were in order to keep Russell Wilson, they were probably going to have to pay him 50 million a year. No question. Quarterbacks salaries basically are a hopscotch business and it doesn't matter. It started with Joe Flacco a decade ago after he bet on himself, won the Super Bowl, his contract had expired and he became the first $20 million a year player in NFL history. We all laugh at that now, don't we? Joe Flacco was the first player in NFL history to make $20 million. That's the perfect example of what happens in the contract business. And what happens is that if your contract is up or your team wants to do a new deal with you, then you're going to have to pay the piper and jump over uh, the last guy who did it. And especially Mitch. Jason Fitzgerald of overthecap.com cap this year is 208.2 million. Okay. He estimates that the next two years, the cap will go to 230 and then 260 million. Because of gambling. That's part of it. They're making a lot more money because of gambling, but it's also the hikes in, in television too. So, I mean, to me, the Seahawks were going to have to be comfortable with paying Russell Wilson a huge amount of money for a long term. And there has been so many little brush fires of discord. Yes. Do you want to do that over the next three, four, five years, knowing that you're going to continually have something come up? And I think they just said, we're in trouble in the draft right now anyway. Let's go out and get a huge package that's going to include the ninth pick in the draft. And I should say one other thing, Mitch. I keep thinking this. The ironic part of Seattle making the trade with Denver, in my opinion, is with the ninth pick in the draft, I believe if John Schneider wants to, he's going to be able to get the long-term left tackle that they've never been able to find because they never draft high in the first place. And, you know, they've always tried to scotch tape it with, you know, a series of, you know, Dwayne Browns of the world. And they never have been able to solve that. Now that Russell Wilson's gone, maybe they solve it finally. It's ironic. So much there that you said, Peter. So we think that maybe not in formal negotiations, but at least chatting was happening between Peyton and Schneider all the way back to the Senior Bowl. Let me ask you this. Much has been made about the relationship between Wilson and the Seahawks. I don't know whether they do these exit interviews anymore. If they do, I don't know if they do them with the big star players, whether the star players walk in at the end of the year. If there was an exit interview with Russell Wilson, now he's played it differently this offseason than he did a year ago. That's for sure. What do you think he told them right after the season ended? That I want out. I think this is a declining organization. What what do you think he said? I don't think, you know what? Hey, Mitch, about as contrarian 
as Russell Wilson is ever going to be was him last year on Dan Patrick. He is not a confrontational person like that. He just isn't. And I believe that basically, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing on this, that in his exit interview, he basically told Pete, Hey, go Hawks. I mean, you know, my feeling is that both sides have known that there's a schism here, a little bit of a chasm between the two sides. They know that they understand it. And Pete always is a kumbaya guy. So I don't think that Russell Wilson is ever going to sit in Pete's office and say, Pete, I'm unhappy with you for the following six reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just... So, I just don't think I don't think he does that. Okay, so had Schneider and Carroll not gotten the package that they thought the Wilson should bring back, with well, two years Mitch, left, what would they have gone to the gate one more year with him, or would they have just traded him to the bet? Were they going to take the best offer? Do you think that was out there? Well, that that I don't know. That my guess is just a guess. My guess is. Then they would have probably taken the three ones and a bunch of refuse from Washington or, you know, who else? What, what, what would what would Carolina offer? And in addition, Mitch, in addition, Russell Wilson was going to have some say in where he wanted to go. You know, I do know this, that Wilson and, and Mark Rogers and their side did a huge amount of study in the past however many months about trying to figure out what the best team was that Wilson could go to with all these factors included. Right. And, uh, and the Seahawks, I'm sure said it better be an AFC team. I have no idea if they said absolutely categorically, we won't trade you to, to an NFC team, but whatever it is, they said this was a perfect match because Denver has had six years of horse crap quarterbacking and George Payton came in a year ago. And you know, what's really interesting about Payton when Payton has made moves, you know, like over the last year or so. And when, when he basically has made trades, he was making moves and sort of figuring out here's what we're doing for the 22 and 23 drafts. He was making moves in part uh, like the Von Miller trade. He gets a two and a three. He made that move in part because mentally he was saying to himself next year, we got to have some ammo to go get a quarterback. No question. It just fit for both sides. Well, there's two there's two hard parts for Seattle Seahawks fans. Number one, there's obviously disappointment for a lot of twelves that Russell Wilson's not the quarterback anymore. They loved Russell Wilson. He was uh, the centerpiece of the greatest era in Seattle Seahawks history. He brought yep. him he brought him a world championship. So that's hard to swallow for a lot of Seahawks fans. But here's what they would say is the the kick to the groin is the belief here, Peter, was that the only way that the Seahawks would do this was if they had a clear path to the next starting quarterback. So you take the Seahawks fans and you say, 
we're going to not only trade Russell Wilson, but at least for the not-too-distant future, Locke, Geno, we, we, we have no idea. That's hard. That's hard for Seahawks. So my, my belief is that the next guy, we don't know yet. That there's another, another, yeah. another big chip to be played here. It could be Deshaun Watson. It could be somebody no one's thinking of. How about that? I think it's possible, uh, but you've got to really think about this, Mitch, and you've got to think about it in a way that would basically tell you that Seattle made a trade knowing that by making this trade, it was going to allow them to be able to have some ammo to be able to make another trade whether they're able to make it or not. They now have the ninth pick in this draft. They have two ones next year. They've also got a couple of twos that they didn't have until now. They now have proper ammunition to trade for Deshaun Watson. I'm writing something in my column this week about how I'm sure that there are many teams that were very happy on Friday when the grand jury in Harris County, Texas, said that they did not have enough evidence to hand down an indictment for sexual misconduct against Deshaun Watson. I think there's quite a few people in the NFL who were relieved and say, okay, well, that's over. Now we can go after Deshaun Watson. Just remember, 22 different women have filed civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. Wherever he goes, Whatever market he moves to, those are not going away. Now, they may go away at some point. Maybe he will decide to make a global settlement if they would be willing, the women would be willing. Who knows? I don't know. The point I am making is that, say, Deshaun Watson gets traded to Seattle and say the Seattle Times or, or whatever, whoever decides that they're going to put a reporter on the Deshaun Watson case and uh, try to find some of the women who are charging, you know, the new hero of the team, uh, not hero, but whatever, the cornerstone, the quarterback of the team. That, to me, is something that and every smart team, and John Schneider is one of the smartest GMs in the league, those are the kind of things you have to consider if, if, and I don't know that the Seahawks are going to try to get Deshaun Watson. But if they do or whoever does, you're going to have to be concerned with the public outcry of women in your community, period. More than women, men too. I have one last off-the-topic question for you before I go. But before I do that, you think any networks want Denver at Seattle next year? (laughs) That's going to be – that'll be such a fun game. You know, that is gone. Mitch, think about this. Think about this. Think about the difference of Denver quarterback Drew Locke playing at Seattle with quarterback Russell Wilson. Think about the difference in that game, which is to me, that's the third late window CBS game on some November afternoon (laughs) that is going to go to 8% of the country. Okay. Now, because it is Denver's Russell Wilson at Seattle's Drew Locke. Now, all of a sudden, 
It's not that gonna be is Drew. going whoever it's going to be. <laughs> but but it might be Drew Locke. Who knows? You never know. What if it's Deshaun but Watson? <laughs> then all of a sudden, that is oh. that is a game that NBC is fighting tooth and nail to get on yeah. uh, Sunday night primetime. But I think they'll fight for the game anyway. Russell Wilson going back to Seattle. Everybody would love to have the game. Yeah. Peter King, the uh, Football Morning in America. It's out each and every Monday. Okay, the the last topic, I, and I'm sure you'll cover it. Maybe you already have, and I missed it. This Calvin Ridley story. This is a big story. This is the first gambling story of a football player since the NFL decided, after all these years, to partner up with gambling. Now, the original story was that he had bet $1,500 or something. It seems like it's growing as I watch the story that maybe it was a lot more than that. And the NFL came down really hard. There are a lot of people, friends of yours, Peter, that have gone on TV and radio and said, this is a terrible overreaction, that he should have been suspended for four games or six games. But the whole year to take $10 million away from this guy when he made a proper bet in Florida and the NFL has partnered up with gambling. Where does Peter King fall on all of this? I think it's absolutely unequivocally a fair penalty that the league has uh, sanctioned Calvin Ridley with. I think anything that calls into question the outcome of an NFL game, if you're betting having anything to do with your team, many, many people are going to think that you know something that we don't. And the NFL has hired a British security firm called Genius to, in part, it's doing a lot of things for the league, but in part, it is trying to maintain the integrity of all NFL activity in this new gambling era. I just think anything that casts doubt on the legitimacy of NFL games has to be, you know, nipped in the bud. But the one other thing about this is, Mitch, every player every year, and it's going to be more aggressive now, it's told if you gamble on games, you are going to get hit as hard uh, or harder than if you do anything else. And, and look, there's precedent for this, even though it's, you know, almost 60 years old. In 1963, the NFL suspended Paul Horning and Alex Karras for a full season for gambling on football games. I believe that all these people are saying, ah, it's too much. Gambling is everywhere. You shouldn't try to stop it. Well, you know, those guys should go bet on NBA games. The NFL has created this mess. They really have, because this is not going to be the last one of these. No, Peter, you're the best football morning in America. I don't care whether it's in season or off season. It's the best. It's the best read. He's been kind to me for a lot of years. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for being with us. Drew Locke versus Russell Wilson. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> Thank you, Take Peter. care, man. Hey, look who's on the line. It's Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniels. How's Lindsay Schwartz doing? How are the restaurants doing, Lindsay? I'm doing great, Mitch, and the restaurants are doing great, too. It's uh, It's been a good run here the last few months. Trends are getting better and better, and uh, we're looking forward to moving into the spring and summer. You know what I haven't asked you in a while about the pandemic and how it's still impacting fine dining, if it is impacting you guys at Daniel's Broiler? 
you know, for us, we do a lot of special occasion business. So we've been doing great for the holidays, as we've discussed, Thanksgiving, December, Valentine's Day. We get a lot of anniversaries and birthdays celebrated with us. So that that feels pretty normal. We're not seeing as much corporate business lunches, business dinners, happy hour. But overall, things are are really getting back to normal and hope that trend continues. I've always said that March Madness is my favorite time of the sports world. Lindsay, with the NCAA tournament and all the things that come along, you guys have your own longstanding tradition as well at Daniel's Broiler of Bellevue. Tell everybody about the 11th annual Bourbon Bash this year. Yeah, that's personally my favorite event that we do every year. It's March 12th at Daniel's Bellevue. And uh, we use all of the banquet rooms. We have vendors. All of our vendors bring their bourbons in. We'll have a selection of over 100 different bourbons to try, including some Pappy Van Winkle. It's a lot of fun. Great passed around appetizers. We've already got a bunch of signups. There's still some tickets left, but it's going to be a really nice event again this year. Danielsbroiler.com to buy tickets, correct? Yes. Okay. The other night I look up and my wife's got the old fashioned Daniels mixer out. She's got the bourbon out all out of the blue. And it reminded me of your mixers on Amazon, which still are selling well. Yeah, they're selling great. I love to hear that. We've been on Amazon for over a year, keeps getting busier and busier. And recently we launched locally at QFC and that's off to a really good start too. Okay. So the bourbon bash is March 12th. It's the 11th annual It's at the Bellevue location. You can get some tickets at danielsbroiler.com. It's the biggest event they do over the course of the year. We love Daniels Broiler, a great partner and a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Moments ago, the Denver Broncos and Seattle Seahawks reached agreement on a trade that will send nine-time Pro Bowl quarterback Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos in a massive package of picks and players. Last week was one of those that will be remembered for a long time, especially when it comes to Denver and Seattle, that whopper of a trade. Russell Wilson joins the team that he beat in the Super Bowl. Jeff Legwald is the ESPN senior writer that covers the Broncos in Denver, and he's kind enough to spend a few minutes with us here on episode 182. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Well, <laughs> I guess we're okay. Fill, fill in the blank for us. The most, the most rabid Broncos fans were blank after hearing the news that the team had acquired Russell Wilson for three players and four draft choices. Well, I'm not sure there's a strong enough word. Ecstatic, uh, frenzied, I don't know, take your pick. But uh, whatever moves the needle into the red in fandom, that's what happened. The billboards were up before the day was out, so uh, (laughs) people were pretty excited. How does it compare to the Manning acquisition, or can't you remember that? No, you know, it, it it was different because the Manning acquisition was a slow windup. You know, Peyton took a tour. You know, the Broncos were the first team he visited. So he visited the Titans after that, the Cardinals after that. So there was this windup, um, you know, until he made his decision that, you know, this just came launched uh, out of nowhere. I mean, Pete Carroll said at the Combine, I, I was standing in the back of the group. He, he said at the Combine, last Wednesday, he used the words, we have in no intention of making a move there. We have no intention of making a move there when he was asked about Wilson. And I think 
a lot of people in Denver and frankly, a lot of people I know in the league believed him at that moment, but we now know that the, the trade was already grinding away. So either Pete Carroll didn't have the latest information or he chose to say <laughs> that anyway. Jeff, how many, how many combines have you covered and when was the last time we believed that anything that anybody said in any official capacity in the combines? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, that, that's the thing. I, you know, I've been to all of the combines in Indy since 87 <laughs> and I've heard people say a lot of things and there, there's a lot of ways to say something. I guess that's my view on it. There were, there were a lot of other words he could have used besides no intention. But, you know, I've, I've since been told he had to be talked into it quite extensively to, oh. to sort of sign off on it or agree with it or whatever. But, no, I think this was a totally different thing than, than Manning because it just, it just came launched out of the blue because I think an awful lot of people in Denver, fans especially, and even, like I say, people I know in the league believed what Pete Carroll was saying. Mm. If I flew to Denver and I listened to a day of sports talk radio, are you telling me, Jeff, I wouldn't hear one caller complain about the deal? The Broncos paid too much or Wilson isn't as good as he used to be? No complaints from anybody? Uh, I doubt that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, six consecutive playoff misses will do that. You know, they've started 10 different quarterbacks since the midway point of the 2016 season, 11 uh, different players. If you count running back Philip Lindsay starting the no quarterback game in, in 2020. Yep. So people, especially the diehards were just ready for something new and different that would, that would indicate they at least have a chance to be back on the upswing. Cause you know, I think generally it's a good young roster, but it looked like for a moment it was going to be another year of a good young roster <laughs> without a quarterback. Well, the quarterback that everybody was talking there for the last several weeks was Aaron Rodgers. We were waiting for Aaron Rodgers to make his decision. The Broncos seemed to be a likely destination. Do we feel like, Jeff, that simultaneously the Broncos may have been negotiating with both teams? Any idea on how different the trade would have been or would have looked if it were for Rodgers instead of Wilson? Well, you know, I think they had a plan in place for Rodgers should he come available. But I think the feeling in their building was that Rodgers would eventually go back to the Packers. So I think that was sort of the if this happens mm-hmm. plan. And then when it started, you know, a couple of weeks ago to look like more and more like Rodgers was going back to the Packers and that, that, that was the indication uh, the Broncos were getting, I, I think they really dialed in on, on trying to make an offer for Wilson that Wilson would agree to too, because I was told last season, only 11 players in the league had no trade clauses. So mm. it was very rare mm. for a player to have one of those. And Russell Wilson had one. So he really ultimately had the the power in all this and, they couldn't have traded him per se if he didn't want to go. And so I I think once they really felt like, okay, Rogers is going back to the Packers. I I think they really dialed in on, on trying to get a Wilson deal done. Would the compensation package to green Bay been more less or the same? Do you think just take a shot at it? Yeah. You know, I think it would have been roughly, I think they would have offered roughly the same, you know, I don't know what kind of counter they would have gotten from the, 
Packers because they never got to the point where they were exchanging actual offers. I think it would have been a similar package. I think Wilson's age, he's only 33. He'll be 34 in November. So he, he's significantly younger than Rodgers. And while you may say, okay, Rodgers ultimately with the MVP awards and is, is a better player, but Wilson's age does factor into a, a trade like this because if you're the Broncos or another team, surrendering those number ones and, and players, when you're doing that for a 33-year-old and you might get an awful lot of seasons out of this, you're, you're, you're a lot less stressed about the whole thing. And I think a quiet thing and a lot of people haven't talked about is uh, the Broncos still have nine picks in this year's draft, which to be able to pull a trade off like this and still have nine picks in hand and, and you know, the third or fourth most cap room in the league when free agency opens, I, I think shows you how ready they were to sort of make this kind of deal. Jeff, how soon do you think we'll see the news of a $50 million a year contract extension for Wilson? Will it be this offseason or next offseason? I, I think certainly they probably have already broached that topic, you know, he, he does have two years left on the deal, so they don't feel the tremendous pressure. But if Wilson was with the Seahawks or the Broncos or anybody else, you, you wouldn't let him get too deep into that last year of the contract before an extension was was done. And the, somebody's crossing the fifty million barrier pretty soon, and it you know it will be a quarterback, and and he will certainly. It, it would stun me if he if he doesn't in any kind of extension they agree to here. So, Jeff, the package, draft choice number nine overall this year, number 40 overall this April. Who knows what the Broncos will do next season, so we don't know where those picks will be. And then the three players that I want you to talk about. Drew Locke, I understand. Maybe he's a reclamation project. I get it. Noah Fant's a very good tight end. Shelby Harris, I don't know much about. It it just seems... With Fant and Harris, a little bit random. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe any players at this stage packaged in the deal would have been random in my eyes. What about those three guys? Well, I think it's the Seahawks' perspective is that you're getting starters in those two. I mean, that Shelby's been probably their best all-around defensive lineman for the last two years, at least. He, he's led the league in tip passes. He gets sacks on the interior. You know, those, that's a difficult player to find in, in sort of the football world. Now, you know, may not make fans fire off the confetti cannons and whatnot, but that's a hard player to find in the football world. So he, he, he likely steps in and plays immediately for them. And I think that from their perspective, okay, he's an immediate starter as is fan. So you get two immediate starters. Locks the wild card. You know, if you can fix the turnovers, maybe you have a guy who can compete for the starting job, but he, he has to fix the turnovers. That's that's what's kept him off the field in, in Denver. You know, his year as the starter in 2020, you know, he, he was tied for the league lead in interceptions, and they had the COVID game where all the quarterbacks were because they had not followed the restrictions about masks and meeting and all those things. And then tried to cover up the fact that they did it. None of the quarterbacks were available for one of the games. And I, I think there were still some hard feelings in the Bronco building 
about that incident because, you know, I think a lot of people with the team took it as a leadership issue. Why didn't you just handle the business like every other player on the team was? So I think some of that is there. But athletically, very talented, big arm. It's just the turnovers. And, you know, that's decision-making. That's processing. Those are things that take a lot of effort to fix. And if he becomes a big part of the trade, he's going to have to fix those things. But I think he knew what they thought of him here. I mean, George Payton took the job as general manager a year ago in January and reviewed the roster and went over all the players, did his own evaluations and immediately traded for Teddy Bridgewater to play quarterback. So I think he showed a year ago that, that Drew Locke was not going to be in the plans here moving forward. So Jeff Seahawks fans will either root for the Broncos because of their appreciation and adoration for the uh, former Seahawks quarterback, or they'll root against him so that the, uh, the picks in 2023 are higher. Many have joked that the Broncos still have the third best quarterback in the division. I don't know if that's true or not. And not unlike the NFC West, that's a tough nut to crack, obviously. Tell me about his offensive line. Tell me about his wide receivers, Sutton, Patrick, Judy. What do you think? Can the Broncos, well, the Chiefs are going to be tough. Can the Broncos, let's say, jump the Chargers for second best in that division? Well, they, they've actually played better against the Chargers than anybody else in the division during this playoff drought. They've essentially split with the Chargers over that span. You know, they, they haven't beaten the Chiefs since the Super Bowl season, and they've struggled with the Raiders of late. So I think their feeling is be good enough all around, and if Wilson just plays like Wilson, that they'll win some of those games Mm -hmm. in the division that they haven't in the past. And, you know, I don't think they look at it as, okay, you know, I'm just not sure it's a good organizational strategy for any team to say, okay, once we get a quarterback better than Mahomes, then we're ready to compete. Well, that's not really a good plan because you got to get the best quarterback you can and then make your team the best you can, and then take your shot against Mahomes. And I think that's kind of the the way they're going. And I think they think Wilson has a lot left in the tank, and I think they feel like they're good at the skill positions. They re-signed Sutton and Patrick last year to contract extensions. Judy, Judy's been underused and used poorly by the offensive coordinators here. You know, you talk to defensive players, and they say this guy's a – phenomenal receivers. So I I think they're hopeful the new coaching staff and Wilson can really bring that out of Judy, especially because he, he, he's got the traits of a number one. He just hasn't been able to get in sync because they've been so bad in the, in the passing game the last four or five years. Well, it was a fascinating week and it'll be very interesting to watch to see how this thing progresses. I guess a fun conversation that I was thinking about anyway, the other day was, Historic quarterbacks in terms of organizations, the best three. Now, you guys can boast Elway, Manning, and Wilson. Elway, Manning. Now, Manning and Wilson both may have had their better days in another organization, so I was thinking about it. Which of the other 31 teams have a better triumvirate of historic quarterbacks? Maybe maybe Bart Starr, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre. That would be a toughie with the Green Bay Packers. Right. It just tells you how rare it is. And again, I, 
I know a lot of people in the NFL that are still stunned. The Seahawks actually said yes to this. And, and I realize in Seattle, people have sort of seen this coming, that they've seen the relationship sour and all of those things. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's a school of thought in the league. That if you have one of these quarterbacks that everybody else wants, you do whatever it takes to mend the fences or build the roster or do whatever you need to do because getting the next one is often an arduous yep. process. And, yep. and, and the Broncos are proof of that. They, they struggled after Elway. They struggled after Manning. I mean, every team struggles virtually all of the time after the marquee guy goes. And it's to sort of start that process sooner than you have to, I, I, I still think there are just a lot of people in the NFL that are surprised Unless the Seahawks traded a 33-year-old franchise quarterback away. Unless there's a a big a big move coming that they know about that we don't know about. And I still think there's a possibility of that. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's Deshaun Watson or if it's Kirk Cousins or if it's somebody we're not thinking about. But normally a guy like John Schneider, you're right, Jeff, a, a guy like John Schneider to be able to convince, you said earlier that Pete Carroll had to be convinced. Something tells me that to convince Pete Carroll to do this, there was something else that got him to sign off on it that we don't know about yet. So let's see. We'll wait and see on that. Jeff Legwald in uh, in Denver does a great job. We like to say that Brady Henderson is the Jeff Legwald of Seattle or is Jeff Legwald <laughs> the Brady Henderson of Denver? I'm not sure about that, but something like that. I'll carry Brady's luggage. I'm just fine <laughs> with that. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for doing Mitch Unfiltered. Anytime. Thank you. When one of the nation's leaders in the mortgage business, Cross Country Mortgage, wanted to set up shop in Kirkland, they immediately called Mitch Unfiltered sponsor Jordan Flowers and acquired his entire team. So that's the way it's done. And here he is, the former East Lake and Washington statewide receiver, Jay Flo in the house. Hi, Jay Flo. Hey, how are you, Mitch? Mitch Thank the you kid. for the kind of Mitch, Mitch the, the kid. <laughs> Mitch the kid, the slicker. Oh, I love it. Uh, oh. How would you say the first year is going at cross country? And you've got a lot of news and notes on rates and limits and second homes. Lay that stuff on us. Yes, absolutely. Lots of news coming out. Interest rates are going up to get in front of the inflationary curve that we're all kind of seeing, experiencing, and hearing about in the news. Loan limits have gone up to 647000 nationally for a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac back loan. So anybody looking to buy a home in the 700000 range is looking yeah. at 3 to 5% down at this point, hoping to make home ownership more possible. And there are a lot of good estimations as far as even your home values increasing this year from the National Mortgage Bankers Association, 5, 6, 10% again in this market based it- off supply and demand. Jordan, if our homeowners are like me, they auto pay their mortgage every month and hardly ever take a look at their interest rates and opportunities to save money. So let's say I'm in year eight of a 30 year fix. I've got great credit. My rate's four and a half percent. All right. I want to stay in a 30 year. What can a seven minute call with either you or a member of your team yield me? Yes. Well, we can yield you several hundred dollars a month in savings, depending on what you want to do. If it's a 30 year fix you're looking for, rates are still much lower than four and a half. If you're looking at a 20 year, we can shorten the term and still save you two, three, four hundred dollars a month potentially. So we would look at 15, 20, 25 and 30 year options for you based on what your ultimate goals are. 
phone number to reach you? 425-890-2957. The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Give them a call. See what Jordan Flowers' team can do for you. If the answer is nothing, you're only out seven minutes. That's not a lot. We love Cross Country Mortgage. We love Jordan Flowers. Great sponsors of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. So this Danny T. O'Neill, Daniel T. O'Neill, is called the other stuff segment of episode 182. This is where we both bring in Hotshot brings in his little crazy stories. For some reason, he likes to talk about people who've died the previous week. We could do that if you want. Morbid. I'm not talking about um, people who died. They could be That's sports, terrible. non-sports. And since we've got the Beat the Boys deal, so we want everybody to fill out their brackets at MitchUnfiltered.com and win big prizes if you, if you beat all of us. And we have all the Wilson and the Watson and the Wagner thing. We haven't really talked about the tournament. The brackets are out. Typically, this would be one of the most exciting days of the year. Now, no Washington, no Syracuse. Oh, the Huskies didn't make the tournament? They didn't. It was close. It was <laughs> no? <laughs> after after that choke job? Uh, God, they can't score. Offense leads uh, oh, a, a lot to be horrible. Yeah. Not only do I have to watch zone, but they can't score. Yep. Welcome to Syracuse's world. Thank you very much. He got <laughs> that offense. Got buddy he got that. You know, he got that offense straight from his uh, his mentor. But um, and his hairline. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you want to uh, <laughs> just take a? You want to start shots. right there? Do you want to pick a champion or do you know? No, don't, you don't no I don't want to no, talk no. about them. Okay. No, I want to talk about Adam Schefter. I'm quitting Adam okay. Schefter. Oh yeah, you have gone hard. Something yeah, about like something it. about Adam Schefter really rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, he bothers me. Tell um, us why. Why? And that's what bothers me is that he transparently serves as a mouthpiece for agents. And I understand that that's part of I understand how that works in covering a professional team and professional players and he is basically the king of NFL transactions. And the way that you get NFL news before it is announced by the teams is usually from the agents or by presidents who are talking to you because you're talking to the agents, but it's just so transparent. It's, it's just, it's give us examples that, well, okay. When Dalvin cook, he, Adam Schefter earlier this year releases, has a tweet that says Dalvin cook is the victim of an assault and that, and that he was attacked in his house, according to his agent. And two and a half hours later, well, there's a report out that hit Dalvin Cook's former girlfriend is suing him, saying that he hit her and caused a concussion. And that's what Adam Schefter is talking about in trying to characterize Dalvin Cook as the victim. That's right. not how you report on things. Like you don't you don't talk to someone's agent and then say he was attacked and stated as fact. When in fact, there's a, a lawsuit that's being filed by the other, like you have to go out and talk to the other side. The most recent one was this is this is how he reported on Deshaun Watson being not charged. And we talked about that earlier, and there's a lot of different nuances to it. This is Adam Schefter's tweet. This is why Deshaun Watson, from the beginning, welcomed a police investigation. He felt he knew that the truth would come out. And today, a grand jury did not charge him on any of the criminal complaints. Right before that, Schefter had retweeted Deshaun Watson's agent saying, keep that same energy, which is essentially how the kids today talk about like, yeah, if you didn't love us, then don't love us now. 
And that's not that's I don't that's not how a reporter should act. It's not how a journalist. So I'm out on Schefter. I blocked him not because he's gonna, not not because he's going to care or, or like not get information from me. But I don't want to pay him any attention. I don't want my oh. eyes. I don't want to see anything that other people tweet that's by him. I'm quitting Adam Schefter. <laughs> is that done? A, is that a permanent ban or a yes, <laughs> yes, banned. <laughs> Oh, dear. How do I follow that up? You don't want to talk about the NCAA tournament. Or you don't want to make any picks of the NCAA tournament. But I did notice something that I think needs to be brought up on Mitch Unfiltered. Something When something in sports happens and you, and you think, geez, I don't know that I've ever heard of anything like that before. I think it's worthy of mention. Yes. So oh, I did, I, I'm totally open for talking about the tournament. I didn't want to talk about the Huskies. Oh, no, no. I'm, I, I want to talk about the when you look at the NCAA tournament bracket, you will notice on a six line, the Louisiana State University, what are they, the Tigers? The Tigers. Go Tigers. This the, is, Scott, the fighting Scott Woodwards. The, the, the Shaquille O'Neal LSU Ooh. Tigers. Oh, okay. less, less miles, loose morals. Yes. Dale Brown. No, no. Less Miles. Oh, no, not Less Miles. Who's the new coach? Ed Orgeron. Brian Kelly. What's a Brian Kelly? Oh, Brian Kelly. Family. 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 (laughs) Yes. But I I just got to say, when was the last time, if ever, you've heard of a team going to the NCAA tournament and a lofty team, six seed, firing their coach like the day before the, the tournament starts? You know, it might be the first time they fired. Oh, oh no, no, not the first. But I guess he wasn't fired, though. Who? 1989. Bill Frieder. Bill Frieder leaves Michigan for Arizona State. And Bo Schembechler says, I want a Michigan man coaching Michigan. And Steve Fisher coached him in the tournament. They won the title that year in Seattle. Yes. But did he did he did he leave like the day before the tournament started? He was he took the job and Schembechler booted him and oh, said, okay. You're not coaching okay. in the tournament, buddy. This guy, Will Wade, I don't know who he is. I know he's the subject of a 17 page notice of allegations about the program from the NCAA. This guy, this guy got fired before the like uh, like 12 minutes before his team's taking the floor in the NCAA tournament. There's something profoundly weird about that. I don't know that I can put my finger on it. Have you followed the whole story? <laughs> no, it's I don't hilarious. know. I don't know anything about the story. So it, in 2019, I believe he didn't coach in the tournament either because he was caught on there was there was a release of a tape because he was caught up in the FBI sting that turned out to like the reason Sean Miller's no longer at Arizona and the thing that it got Patino too. So this is the third big name coach that this this sting has got. So Will Wade, he's on tape saying that they made a strong ass offer <laughs> to a player. <laughs> <laughs> and and at the time it, it looked like he was going to get canned then and but he said to him and he basically he reworked his contract said look i didn't do anything and this whole thing is going to blow over you're going to find out i didn't do anything in fact i didn't do anything we can rewrite my contract so it's if it's found that the ncaa the ncaa has a level one violation against me you can fire me and it won't cost you anything Jesus. And and, did. Last, and and last week he had five of those. Jeez. He had five level ones. Jeez. So they said you're fired. There you go. 
You're up. He's like he he died. Now name, image, and likeness is yeah. is is allowed, and it <laughs> might have even been legal now. And he just got canned. I, and not yeah. just got canned, but I think there's going to be what do they call it a show? Uh, uh, show cause. Yeah, he's not coaching the NCAA. <laughs> well, I don't know if he's not coaching in the NCAA. Did a pretty good job with the team. They were the number six seed out of the SEC. That's pretty good. Look, man, you go make some strong ass offers for kids. <laughs> get them now. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Uh, I would like to bring up yes. Kevin Durant taking a shot at the New York mayor. <laughs> okay. So in New York, generally people hate the mayor. It took him about five minutes. We just got a new mayor. His name's Eric Adams. It took people about five minutes to hate him. You you generally get hated when you're the when you're the mayor. Except in those situations where sometimes everybody will decide they love you, but generally you just take crap. Right now, Kyrie Irving cannot play in home games. Correct. Because he has not been vaccinated. And they won't relax the rule for him. Correct. Right? Kevin Durant, after he scored 53, <laughs> called upon the mayor to, quote, figure it out. <laughs> End quote. So we were talking. Is, is, <laughs> is the mayor going to cave to the public pressure to let Kyrie play? Because he played the other day. He scored 50 points. He looked great. But nobody here really cares about the Nets. They play in Brooklyn, and they're by far the better team. But people like the Knicks more. So I was actually thinking that it's possible that Eric Adams, because I believe he will make this decision entirely based on what Curry's the most favor with voters. He's going to use this to like suck every up. other thing. Yeah, it's possible that, that he just doesn't care about the Nets, <laughs> and he's like, this thing doesn't move the needle one way or the other. And the crap that I would take because he will—they fired like thirteen thousand city employees for not getting vaccinated. Yeah, and now it's it's different because this is a private enterprise, and it's not like he would be. There, there are other private enterprises where guys are allowed to come and go to work. It's it, they're not relaxing this very specific restriction for for Kyrie. He would take some crap though if he let Kyrie play, and I think it's possible that he's going to stick at his heels and like, nope, no special rules for Kyrie because nobody cares about the Nets. If he was on the Knicks, yes, play. if he was on the Knicks, this guy would be playing. I guarantee it. But he's on the Nets, and no one cares. Oh, okay, I see your. Kyrie Irving and mayor of New York, and I raise you a Calvin Ridley. <laughs> Calvin Ridley says on on social media, you gotta love social media. What is everybody? I, I don't have fifteen hundred bucks. I I I wagered fifteen hundred bucks while I was sitting out on the Falcons. I didn't bet against them. Well, I, I guess we're now finding out it was a lot more than fifteen hundred bucks. It was more like thousands and thousands of dollars. The NFL has swiftly kicked him to the curb for a year, which means. His $1,500 or $2,000 bet has cost him $10 million. Yeah. Uh, but many, he doesn't have a problem, he said. But, 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 I, don't, but I, don't, I, don't I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. <laughs> By the way, many of the talking types, the talking heads, whatever you want to call them, if you watch enough of these shows, you'll hear most, I think even most, say NFL overreacted. It should have been four games. It should have been six games. It should have been seven games. It should have been eight games. I hear a lot of people saying that. What what say Danny O'Neill on this? No, man, you can't bet on games. Okay, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Uh, the whole, I think there is hypocrisy in the NFL, and I think there are problems that the NFL is going to have. But the idea that oh, this is an overreaction. No, man, you can't bet on games. Like you can't. It's it's similar to how I felt about Shakari Richardson, the sprinter who didn't get to go to the Olympics because yes. she tested positive for pot. Where everybody's like, oh, it's not a big deal, and it should yeah. not. It's a game. Everybody knows it's against the rules. Like everybody knows you can't bet on football games. Like you can't. 
And for good reason, you can't bet on football games. Okay, you but can't no, bet no, on no, football games. No one's no one's doubting the veracity of consequences. They're doubting the length. Ten yeah. million, bu- ten million bucks they took out of his pocket. Yeah, but what if you? No, because if nope. it, oh, if it was twenty five thousand dollars, and if it, if were, it was twenty five thousand dollars, then it becomes severe. What if, if it were Tom Brady? Get, no, you what bet on it, games. And you what get if it were Tom Brady? Year, that's fine. What if it that's were a, Tom that's Brady? That's a totally fine consequence. You can't bet on games. What if you were Tom Brady? Would they have suspended him for a year? What if it were Russell Wilson? What if it were Aaron Rodgers? Would they have suspended him for a year? (laughs) I don't think the answer is yes. Well, they suspended Michael Jordan for a year and a half. Kind of, sort (laughs) of. Well, hold on. And so here's my, before we get off of this subject and I throw the ball to you. Calvin Ridley, even though I'm kind of defending him. Yeah. And by the way, you'll hear or you heard Peter King say every NFL player, when they come into the league at the beginning of every year as your dog barks, even your dog knows that this is against the rules. Every (laughs) NFL player is warned with a finger in their face. You do not bet on this sport or you are severely sanctioned. That's That's what Peter said. So having said all that, couldn't Calvin Ridley have hidden it a little better? Of course. Jesus, can't he tell his friend to <laughs> the do it? Dumbest thing what in the, the world. What the hell? Why does he does he not have a cousin in in Tampa or somewhere? He went to the University of does, Is Calvin Ridley the most stupid human being on the? There's a billion ways he could have made these wagers and still be playing football next year. What is this? Pro- Did he really think? Nah, I'll just do it as Calvin C. Rid. On the on the app, I'll be C Rid, like what's his number? Like seventeen, C Rid seventeen or something. I mean, what what what's the matter? Does he not have the brains he was born with? What's wrong it's, with him? It's similar to the guys that test positive for pot at the combine. Where I was like, those NFL teams don't care if you smoke pot. They care that you're so stupid you got caught. test got caught testing positive. Get for the Wizenator from Ontario Smith. That's <laughs> one of the all time great stories. Oh, God. All right, you're up. Go ahead. What do you got? I am going to 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 take a little bit of a hop and a skip because I don't know if you've seen this yet, Mitch. Okay. Tom Brady's coming back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfinished business. Brady returning his Bucks QB. Yes. I'm slightly surprised that baseball came back before Tom Brady. I'm slightly surprised. The fact that we didn't talk about it until like two hours into our show is either a reflection of me the poor executive producer that I am or a reflection that we're Tom Brady'd out or if a reflection that we had all these other things to talk about that were more pressing. We, we, it, we, we, it took us two hours to talk Good. about Tom Brady. <laughs> Good. I'm dead serious. Okay. There are more than enough people that are going to talk about this. Yes. I don't care. I, I was so glad when he lost this year. I didn't want to see him win again. I didn't particularly enjoy watching him win last year, but at least there was a little bit of satisfaction of knowing that he was rubbing it in the constipated Bill Belichick's face this year. I don't care at all. And and maybe the only upside of this is that this might leave the possibility that his arm will actually fall off. Like he'll be completely done <laughs> no, or maybe he'll have a terrible year. Like you remember Brett Favre's last season with the Minnesota Vikings when he stopped playing and it was just an afterthought like that. Maybe after all of that, like it's everybody has their weakness. Shaquille O'Neal, it was free throws. 
Brett Favre, it was because he, I don't know if I really want to play. Oh, I do really want to play. And like that pension every single year. And maybe Thomas, that he's just, he's not going to be able to leave well enough alone. That he's got to ring every last drop. And so we're going to see the dried out husk of a carcass of him come back. (laughs) And maybe that's what we'll see this year. But no, I think that executive producer Mitch Uh, made the 100% right call of, we put this exactly on this show where it belongs. (laughs) All right. While we're on the topic of, of, of former NFL stars, former NFL quarterbacks. This is a little bit of an older story, but it has a new, a, a little bit of a new layer to it, okay? Troy Aikman is leaving Fox for Monday Night Football. Apparently, he's being joined by his buddy Joe Buck, who for whatever reason, everybody hates. Yeah, everybody hates Joe hate. Buck. Why do they hate him? Apparently, ESPN, ESPN's Kirk Herbstreet is leaving ESPN to go to Amazon to call the Thursday night games, I believe with Al Michaels. There's a lot of shifting going on in the broadcast booth. And my question to you in the other stuff segment is, do we care? Do we care who it is that we're listening to on a random Sunday afternoon or Monday night? Yes or no? Yeah, I do. Okay. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to listen to Kirk Herbstreet call NFL football. <laughs> I heard him call a game this year, and it was the, I think it was the Broncos last game, and Vic Fangio was there. And he's going on and on about the culture that Vic Fangio has built and how you've got to give him a lot of respect. And I was like, have you what? This team sucks, and he can't manage the clock, and his players hate him. I was like, you're just an apologist. It was Joe Theismann. You remember Theismann each year? would each game would just he'd just go on and on about about how great every, the the winning coach was yeah. the same yeah i care you i care. i, I okay. general i generally like announcers so who do you like? like to hear who do you like? I, you like joe buck yeah i do do you like I, al michaels I, I, I love al michaels al michaels and collinsworth do you like favorite. troy aikman i do like troy aikman. okay you like a lot the one the, my my one complaint with buck is that there are times that it sounds like he's annoyed to be seeing something like there are times where it's like he, it sounds like he doesn't really want to be there and he's kind of complaining about the game. And that will be a, you don't get to complain about the game. I can complain about the game, but not right, you. Right. Um, my favorite and who I'd like to see spotlighted more is a keep to leave. Oh, Tlaib, really? To leave is he, awesome. How about his wardrobe? But I didn't like him as a play. Then he poked people in the eye. Yeah. But I didn't like it. Snatch their chains. No, no, I don't. Yeah. Like, I don't. Like I don't he like got. That. He got shot one time, or he <laughs> shot at somebody. I don't know. But a keep to leave's a wild yeah, like boy. That. Okay. He's an absolute right. wild man. You're up. Uh, Russian oligarchs. Okay. Everybody talks about the oligarchs now in the yes. wake of all of the sanctions. And the fact that there is a class of Russian entrepreneurs who are just collectively known as the oligarchs uh, is is something that has, has give me, given me a great deal of enjoyment. And watching how they've talked about seizing all of their assets. And it's in, in the English Premier League. Um, Ro- Roman Abramovich owns Chelsea, which is one of the, yeah, they're a top tier premier yeah. league club. Yeah. And just in general, like it feels like we've got some sort of arcane, like this feels the oligarchs feel like, like an early 1900s term. And I don't, I don't exactly know what it means. I think it means that they're part of some sort of wealthy aristocracy and have oligarchs. Over it. Yeah. But oligarchs, oligarchs. I've really, I've really, I've felt not that I've enjoyed hearing about them. I just enjoyed the continued use of the term oligarchs, which essentially means like uber rich from Russia. Okay. I see you're uber rich from Russia and I raise you an uber rich from the world of college football. Now I am not somebody 
who typically sits in front of a microphone or behind a microphone and complains about the successes and how much people are getting paid, yada. They should pay. They should make as much as they can get. I'm a mm-hmm. big believer in that. Okay, but this story is going overboard. I just read a story about the new USC head football coach, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley. That I had to read 17 times to make sure I was reading it correctly. Lincoln Riley has found his new home in Los Angeles. Now, I remember when USC coaches and big-time college they got like $2 million a year. I think Steve Spurrier got like $3 million and everybody went, whoa, he got $3 million. And I know that college football is, we love college football. But isn't there something a little wrong with Lincoln Riley dropping $17.2 million on his new oceanfront estate? And I'm going to give you some specifics. You want some specs? Yeah, Danny? I do. I do. You want I do. a little I bit of specs? Okay. Real estate board. Give it to okay. me. Okay. 13,000 square feet, seven bedrooms, 12 baths, five car garage, elevators, seven fireplaces, movie theater, tennis court, putting green, sauna, steam room, 600 bottle wine room, and a guest house. Now, I, I Lincoln Riley, God bless his heart. Hopefully he's going to restore some dignity or help restore some dignity to this god-awful conference that you call home. But Lincoln Riley spending $17 million on a house? How is Lincoln Riley able to spend $17 million on an oceanfront house that's 13,000 square feet? Somebody is getting paid way too much somewhere. Come on. It's funny that you go first to the price of it because my immediate reaction is the size. The size. Who in the hell wants that many people living around them? I had, this is on it. My wife and I don't have kids. We decided not to have kids. Last weekend, I had a young cousin, 19. She's a college freshman. She came out here because she's looking at a school to transfer to. She plays women's soccer. And she stayed here three nights, slept on her couch, and we got... And by the time she left, I was like, God, I'm exhausted. I thank God I didn't have kids. She was as quiet as possible, completely oh. took care of herself. I didn't oh. have to do anything. But I was really? just like, oh, my God, I'm not I'm not fit. <laughs> I, it's too much. It's a lot of pressure. 13 bedrooms. 13 Good bedrooms. Lord. No, no, no. I didn't say that. 13,000. 12 bedrooms, no. seven bathrooms. 13,000 square feet. Seven bedrooms, 12 bathrooms. Get it straight, oh, Danny. Well, that, and why, why, do you, why do you need bedrooms? Yeah, why do you need five more bathrooms? Why, bedrooms? <laughs> but Lincoln Riley, did you know he was making this kind of where did he get this money? Yeah. This is unbelievable. These he's, guys I mean he's, what he's Steve lived Sarkeesian? in Oklahoma for a long time, right? Like <laughs> what what's the, the cost hell? of living there? I'm sure he's she's paying God. like a hundred thousand dollars a year for his mortgage in Oklahoma for that size of house. He's been saving up for this for a while. Jesus. Unbelievable. Anyway, that's my last one. So you get you get one last one and then we'll we'll leave with an RIP. Go ahead. The last my last one is I've been listening to a podcast called American Prodigies. Okay. Am I getting a recommendation and, here? Yeah, it's Oligarchs. A, it's, a, it's yeah, it's it's a good and the first season is about Freddie Adu. Um the reason I'm listening oh. to it is it's put together by a, a group, the Blue Wire Pods, who I'm talking to on Wednesday. Uh, so I've been familiarizing myself with their work in in anticipation of uh, of this conversation with a couple of their directors. Okay. Um, I listened to the podcast on Freddie Adu, and I just want 
I want you to stop me when this starts to sound familiar. Freddie Adu is this precocious, incredible talent who comes in. He's got this electric smile, this understated personality. Everybody loves him. Everybody. Now, he's the youngest professional athlete. 15, in right? Yeah, 100 years. He was 14 years old 14. when he starts playing yeah. for the MLS franchise yeah. uh, there, the DC United. Correct. And over the course of his first and second season, there starts to be a little bit of a tug of war and a push of what he wants to do and how he wants to play and the structure that that the team is placed around him, the role that they want him to play. And there's there's increasing friction because the group that is associated around him and the group like kind of his his support network starts to feel like, hey, they're they're stifling him a little bit. And it comes to a head as in a hallway, one of the assistant coaches from the soccer team hears Freddie Yadu like listening to a highlight reel that's all of these individual highlights of him. And and he looks in and the person that's sitting next to him is his mental coach, his mental conditioning coach, a guy that had been working with him since IMG Academy and his soccer, his soccer uh, pedigree. And it leads to kind of an argument where they're like, that's exactly the kind of stuff we're trying. He's a part of a team. He plays a role on a team. It's not about his show and what he's capable of doing. And the 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 mental conditioning coach is kind of like, well, this is I'm I'm his advocate. I'm here for his career. I'm I'm about I'm not beholden to the team. I'm I'm beholden to him and getting him ready and having the right mental approach that he gets on the game. And the the mental conditioning coach is Trevor Moad. Who is oh, Russ's guy? Yeah. So this is fifteen years ago. May he rest and now, in peace, right? Yeah. Trevor Moad has has passed, passed on, away. And, yeah. and is someone who is really well regarded now, um, and works with Nick Saban at, at at University of Alabama. Had worked with Jimbo Fisher when he was he was in charge of Florida State. And Russ is his guy, though. I mean, Russ is they they wrote a book together and stuff. It was fascinating when I came across that episode because I found myself thinking. There's a little bit of Russ in this story. Yeah. There's a little bit of Russ yeah. as sort of the precocious sure. ingenue and really heralded and kind of ends up feeling like I'm being stifled by the surroundings. And the idea of not being a cog or that the way that you realize your full potential is by not letting a coach define it for you. And Russ has done that at different points. He wouldn't bend to what NC State wanted him to do. And he ultimately wouldn't bend to what Pete wanted his quarterback to do. And I thought it was really interesting to see that 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 strain because I'll get to the end of the podcast and see it, but it's very clear that that has become something that Freddie Adu, because Adu is a prodigy who never quite became the superstar he was destined to be. And part of this podcast is looking at sort of why that happened. And I don't think this is the dominant reason why, but it's certainly a strain of it. And I it I found it very striking. And it's to, called what? It's called American Prodigies. American it's, Prodigies. It's season one. The one they're on now is about gymnasts. That might have been, we might have, that might have been too serious, Mitch. That's, that well, too serious? No, I feel like I brought everything down. No, everything. No, you didn't bring anything down. No, you're you're being nice no, now. No, we were no. we were having fun. I was no, ripping on the no, mayor of New what, York. That's and... what unfiltered is all about. <laughs> fastball, curveball, fastball, curveball. I'll end with this. William Hurt died recently at the age of 71. The actor who played in Broadcast News, Kiss of the Spider Woman, and so and so forth. 
I don't have much of an opinion about William Hurt. I'm, I'm sorry to hear of his passing at 71 years old, nearly 72. But I will say that, the, that he did one movie that not a lot of people remember or even know about that really moved me. I remember seeing it and it moved me. And someday when you're, when you're looking for a good cry, I don't know if you, are you ever looking for a good cry? Man, I cry all the time. Did you ever see a movie called The Doctor? No. Okay. I'm just going to leave it there. The Doctor starring William Hurt is a movie that resonated with me for some reason. It moved me. It moved me to tears. It's a long time ago. I think it was in the early 90s before I even got to Seattle. It's a long time ago. It's the story of a doctor who's got a terrible, a surgeon who's got a terrible cold bedside manner, and then he becomes the patient and realizes what he's been missing his entire professional career. That's all I'm going to tell you. And it's a very touching story. That I, 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 as soon as I heard that he had passed, I didn't think of broadcast news, even though I saw it. I didn't think of the kiss of the Spider Woman. I thought of the Doctor in 1990, like one. So, if you ever get a chance and you want a good cry, it's not a, a, a particularly uplifting story, but it's a great story. I, I want, I, I do want to watch that movie. And anytime that I think of broadcast news now, I think of Mike Tirico. Do you know why? And I, yes, I know why. Because of the sweating scene, I know exactly why. Oh, don't tell, don't tell Mike, and don't let him listen to this podcast. Let me tell you, if Mike finds out that I told that story, your Blue Wire interview is shot to high hell. Yeah, you're gonna uh, from up on high. Mike Tirico's gonna leap, reach down. Oh dear! There it is, ladies. Thank you, Danny. Thank you very much, Mitch. It was really fun. I appreciate you having me. Episode 182, ladies and gentlemen, in the books.